Hi, my name's Adam Wingard. I directed this movie. And uh, this is Simon Barrett. I'm the writer. This is um, this is going to be the most uh, winged commentary that I think we've ever done. I was going to, I actually, last night I was going to prepare notes for this commentary track, but then there was like uh, like a Welcome Back Cotter marathon on TV. Oh, I should already mention that originally I, I actually wanted to uh, look into seeing if we could actually uh, just... Um, uh, like get a limited purchase rights for the Canon logo, at least for the festivals uh, there at the beginning of the film, just so that the movie would just start off with a Canon logo. Uh, but I was pretty quickly shot down as that. Yeah, I think the people unrealistic. That, the people that actually made the movie like wanted their logo on it. <laughs> well, Canon doesn't exist anymore, right? So I mean, like that's true. Well, I wanted like Vestron or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, you know, like I mean, because you know, the Shaw brothers didn't have anything to do with uh, you know, like Kill Bill or any of that yet. Their, their logos at the beginning, so I assume he just like why can we never get the things that quentin tarantino gets that's my question that snoot logo actually was created for this film in response to kind of adam's request though that's where they got that kind of like like it turned out to actually be better than our actual like titles logo which now just looks boring in comparison (laughs) (laughs) but they started using that i think this is our uh co-producer chris harding yeah we always give him a hard time like you know he's been working at snoot with our producers for i mean i mean since like 2000 since since we met them yeah he was on your next he worked on vhs2 with us and uh so we made him the he's thoroughly embarrassed (laughs) whenever we um rub it in his face that uh he he's He's in the movie. He's uh, the family's <laughs> deceased son that they're grieving for. You know, I've um, always, like, felt really uncomfortable with this scene, actually. Like, I felt like I had a camera movement in mind whenever it's it's spinning around her here at the beginning uh, to reveal the door. But, like, I really, in retrospect, I really wish that I just kind of built up the reality a little bit more here in the movie. And I've always kind of regretted the way this movie opens. Because, actually, the, the movie itself was supposed to open... Which is this is included in on the D- DVD or the deleted scenes, but uh, originally the movie actually opens with um, Dan running down the road, and we see Micah, uh, her character, um, coming home late. Um, you know, like hanging out. Oh, and then she has that like argument with with Leland with her father. And, yeah. yeah, and it was one of those things where like it's actually some of the best looking footage in the movie because it's all like magic hour, um, like morning type of stuff, and. Um, you know, and it's it, you get to see all these like vast expanses of you know uh, New Mexico desert and stuff. It just really like expanded the scope of the movie right away in the opening. So, but then we ended up cutting it because it was boring. <laughs> but we'll get. I guess we'll talk about that when. We're yeah, and we'll talk about that on the de- deleted scene. But you know, I mean, we every single thing that that we've done together, we've shot on location. You know, it's not like we're building these these sets on like a soundstage somewhere. We just have never had the money for that. So this is like an existing house that we managed to find in. I think just some of the rooms just weren't quite as big as, mm-hmm. you know, you'd, you'd necessarily want them to be. Well, yeah, we've never had the experience of, like, Simon writes something and then um, we find uh, a location that perfectly fits it, you know, like, you know, it's... verbatim, you know. So we always end up having to customize. And if anything, like, I mean, this movie I'd actually, and we had 
kind of conceived the film originally as being more of taking place in like the Pacific Northwest. Oh yeah, yeah, it's gonna that be was like, like in the woods. Yeah, yeah. just because like you know we both liked that area and we were interested in it. But whenever we started location scouting, we kind of we kind of started we kept, you know I guess we kept an open mind and kind of started with the the tax incentive states. Yeah, and, we don't, um, well we don't have the money to like make choices like that yet is i guess what we're saying exactly so yeah so we went down to new mexico tell us where we're filming and i'll rewrite the script yeah but it it was it was it's a cool thing to do though because where you shoot just influences the look and feel of your movie so much so you know that whenever we went down to new mexico um you know it kind of changed the whole like kind of stylization of the film just because i mean the place is just so oppressively you know, like you know, sunlit everywhere. That um, you know, that had to be featured in the in the in the look of the movie, and which is kind of cool because we were shooting this in the summertime, and we wanted to make a movie that takes place during Halloween, and the desert ended up being a perfect way of pulling that off without yeah. it being weird because you know, October the always looks like the desert, really. Yeah, and, October uh, in New Mexico doesn't look much different than July and August, which is when we were filming. Um, but it was uh, brutal. And, and plus, I, I've never really, to to my knowledge, seen uh, a movie that takes place in the desert that also takes place during Halloween. It seems like everybody always wants to set Halloween movies in very idyllic fall kind of settings, you know, with, like, falling leaves. And, you know, to get that vibe, I mean, obviously because it looks incredible, and we probably should have done the same. But, but, like, but, like, New Mexico was on, like, year, like, like five of, like, a record drought, and, like, there were <laughs> awful weird thunderstorms that kept shutting us down. And, mm-hmm. like, that's, I guess, I mean, many, many times, you know, we'd get shut down for an entire day because we couldn't run the generator because of lightning. You know, if there's lightning within, I guess, a mile of a generator, you you have to shut it down for a few hours. So that was a learning experience for us. Uh, this was, a, you know, this is the first shoot we did uh, that was like full union crew, um, and and we got to learn all about the rules of that. Um, which, you know, hey, we're in unions, but uh, but it was an education. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of those guys are real, uh, real, real ex soldiers. Yeah, that real was a photo. Real, real, real blood on their hands. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, and they're and they're they're weapons that they're holding in that photo. I I I, uh, I don't remember if I took that or if our still photographer took that. We were taking them together, but um, but they they brought their own guns from home, um, and then just like showed us that they weren't loaded, which you know they probably could have tricked me on that one. But but, but yeah, and and Dan Dan uh. Dan and Chris really enjoyed that. Uh, enjoyed that photo shoot a lot with those guys. Um, but yeah, I don't even know where we found them. I mean, they just were all like kind of ex-military dudes living in New Mexico uh, that you know our our locations guys were able to reach out to. And yeah, they just brought all the weapons that they kind of I think probably illegally hoarded. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Yeah, actually, do you remember during that uh, location scout, we went into that one house and there was that there was this. This 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 woman who was like in her like sixties or seventies, and her son who was like he looked kind of like the Green River Killer. Oh, he was yeah. like seven foot tall almost, and he was like three hundred and eighty pounds, you know. Yeah. And um, and he was just kind of like weird and like kind of standoffish. And we were looking around the house, and then we go into this back room, and they tell us like it's fine to go anywhere to look at all the rooms. So we go in the back room, and um, sitting on the bed is um is an AK-47 and uh, and an open issue of Guns and Ammo next to it. Um, like, he was just, like, he's lounging just, around yeah, on his bed. Yeah, like, there holding his AK, reading his Guns and Ammo. I mean, I have to assume that he, he put it out there because he thought it would impress us in some way or intimidate us, and he was just fucking with us. But I, am, I, as you know, receive Guns and Ammo 
It's the one magazine I actually receive every month because my... Uh, Do my... you live with your mother? <laughs> Do you sleep with your gun? No, this is a, this is a true, actual, real-life story about me as my step-grandparents, you know, are, are, are really right-wing and, and believe, you know, that, like... Obama wants to take their guns, and they're they're wonderful people, and I love them. But they, they might for Christmas every year, I get a subscription to Guns and Ammo magazine, which is why in my screenplays the guns are always really specifically named because I always just go to the recycling bin and take out the latest issue of Guns and Ammo and flip through it until I find something that looks basically like what I want the character to be holding. And like, why why do your guns always have human names? <laughs> That's another Pet issue name. that I'm working through. Yeah, I always wonder how many people um, notice that um, Dan has the uh, KPG logo uh, stamped on his chest there. Zero. I mean, we we kind of like wanted to imply that um, you know once he escaped the um, whatever kind of hospital situation he was in yeah. uh, with with KPG that. Uh, that uh, presumably he 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 just raided their kind of uh well he just murdered everyone yeah. like, like that he saw and then took their clothing which is pretty much what you see him do again at the end of the film that's a great sweater though i, I mean sweatshirt i would love to have that actually yeah well who knows where it is now so so here's uh caleb's perfectly clean room uh, <laughs> perfectly preserved room um <laughs> uh, difficult to say if he was 12 or 18 when he left <laughs> you um, know i i i had a um you know, a hard time trying to, you know, because like in the script, the whole idea was that um, that the mother just keeps the house super clean because she's just obsessively yeah, clean all yeah. day she's, she's so depressed. She, she's like introduced scrubbing a stove. In but the, first the hard draft. thing about that is, you know, on camera that just sometimes just translates as like boring you know, production design. Exactly. But yeah. like, you know, we, we kind of just had to go for it. So, you know, if the sets look ultra clean, it's actually on purpose. Uh, <laughs> There's Dan Stevens doing his amazing stare. This, this shot was actually a shot inspired by Scream. There's a moment in Scream where they transition to a hallway and there's like, you know, uh, a, a, a door, a, a ringing, you know, bell, and then there's a delay, and then the students come out. And I always thought that was a cool way to get into the uh, school. And so, strangely enough, I ended up ripping off screen for like one shot. <laughs> one of the few times I've ever like actually directly referenced a shot, and it's totally obscure, you know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't miss that. If you look here, uh, you can see that we removed the lock so that it wouldn't break our actor Brendan Meyer's nose. Yeah, Isn't Brendan it? did a great job of slamming into that thing. Oh, I think he slammed into it. Brendan, Brendan, and uh, all our actors in this are awesome, and we'll get into that more later but brendan brendan really enjoyed some of the physical comedy of this role but yeah as you can see that one locker is missing a lock i you know little behind the scenes magic for you people at home yeah this, this was one of those scenes actually i remember whenever we shot it that i um you know i remember feeling like we didn't really get it and it wasn't until you know we edited it that it actually turned out that it was like totally fine but i was like I mean, and that's the thing that, like, you know, a lot of people don't really think about when it comes to making movies is oftentimes you end up leaving scenes, no matter, you know, how much time you had into it, mm -hmm. you know, like you end up leaving scenes always with a little bit of like a question mark. Yeah. You know? Did we get that? Did we, you know, is that, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I've always wanted to do this kind of like, you know, like I, I feel like, you know, like, um, it's it's a very like Asian kind of uh, movie aesthetic, like sense of humor to have people just kind of like staring at each other like this. I remember like Park Chan Wook did it in um, uh, Sympathy for Mr. Yeah. Vengeance. There's some like really stilted stuff like this. I've always wanted to have a moment in a movie where it's just like awkward silence of characters staring at each well, other. It's better too because you can hear the parents arguing. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, you can see that we actually like uh, um, took his. Um, the, the camera shake out of his shot a little bit. In certain screens, and uh, certain TVs, you can see that um, the, the camera movement looks a little funny on Brendan in some of those shots. You know, that's what I've noticed about, you know, like they have all these tools now where, you know, if, if you can actually like, 
take down the camera shake, you know. Um, yeah, stabilize the shot by kind of finding tracking points on it. And, it and yeah, you exactly. Lo- you lose a little information at the top and bottom of the screen, so you zoom in a little bit. But, but, but and the thing about that stuff is, is it seems like a great idea, you know, a lot of the times. But, you know, honestly, like, no matter how sophisticated it is, um, certain TVs just, like, pick it up and actually it, – it, it, it ends up having a weird slur to it, you know? Yeah, it just looks kind of like, like, yeah, like a... Which also thing. just depends on how much of the camera shake stuff you're taking out, you know? It's one of those things where it really works best if you're doing it extremely subtly. You know? Well, you know, just like so many things in filmmaking in this kind of digital age, it's it's better if you just can actually get it right on set, you know, mm-hmm. like special effects, digital blood, and stuff like that. You know, we always try to get that stuff practically. Uh, I, I would say, like, almost 100% of the time, every special effect or you know, gunshot, gore thing, we always try to do practically, and only then when it fails, which is also 100% of the time, mm-hmm. uh, do we fix it digitally. <laughs> so This is one of my few um, uh, musical interludes that I created. I just put that little stinger in there, like, on our... We, we, we mixed the movie basically twice, like, once before Sundance, and it was right up to the wire. We were editing over, or we were mixing over... Um, over Christmas break, like, um, we actually couldn't even go home for Christmas, uh, nobody could, so, uh, to, to make up for that, Keith and Jess, uh, our producers, they actually, um, uh, rented out a, a private screening at, at the Cine Family, uh, the silent movie theater on yeah. Fairfax, and, um, we watched a 35 print of, um, Die Hard that yeah, Christmas, Christmas day. Christmas <laughs> starting at, like, noon. Yeah. This, this scene here on the swing set, this was the last thing we shot, because it was, a uh, we had a scene we shot twice, it's, it's also, uh, Adam just told me it's also on the deleted scenes. It is, yeah. But this was, like, we didn't even, because the generator was failing, and, Everything yeah, this was, was awful. We couldn't even start shooting really till about we three didn't, in the morning. Three in the morning is when we started shooting this scene, yeah. and it was the last night, and everyone had been working for like twelve hours already, and it was. It, I mean, it, the, it, you watch it now, and it, it really doesn't feel. As, well, the funny thing is too is this is actually shot on the exact day that uh, your next was coming out in the theaters, and it was really funny because yeah. as we were shooting this scene, or like having this scene completely delayed out of it, like yeah, by we like just six hours, killed like six hours yeah, in this freezing we, part. We were receiving all these like really discouraging um, yeah, incre- emails inc- from increasingly like depressingly worded emails from like the Lionsgate like box office analysts. They're like, well, maybe it'll you know like they they what they do is they check in every like you know um there's like checkpoints in the day yeah, like basically like every it, two hours or yeah. so like and so like we get these uh checkpoints and it'd always be like the movie's underperforming at this hour but we think it's going to pick up at this hour and then it just yeah. kept never going and then it got to the point at the end of the night you know yeah, where, where they're just like here's what it made but you know there was like, <laughs> like one uh. moment where like we, we we uh like we were told by quite a few people that night that um there was this um sold out arc light screening and um like actually one of the people that told me was um uh, was uh, what's the evil uh, dead uh, director's name? Um, uh, uh, the new one, um, Fede Alvarez. Yeah, yeah. He he like uh, tweeted at me, and um, and, and there was a couple other people that tweeted that uh, at the your next screening that uh, Quentin Tarantino was there. Oh yeah, a friend that, of mine like uh, texted me that. Like, yeah. like he's like, I, I just saw like your next and Quentin Tarantino. Actually, it was, was Jeffrey there. Reddick actually. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, Jeffrey Reddick. Yeah, was Who like we're friends like, with. But, yeah, uh, but yeah, like it was funny because they were saying that he was there and he was laughing his ass off and he was having a great time and that really actually made us feel really good. It did uh, make us feel a lot better during during the midst of that day's like trials. But then he didn't put us on our best on his best of the year list so we were like well all right he must, see he must how, have hated it see how much that's, <laughs> yeah he must have just been laughing he must have been watching click on his ipad <laughs> and just laughing at that with his headphones on oh quentin tarantino Hello? well we're we're obviously big fans so that did make us feel great leland uh leland orser uh the wonderful actor who's playing the father here i mean he really took 
uh, he really took the, the constant kind of references to alcohol in the script uh, very much to heart. <laughs> he probably is actually the most improv-heavy actor we had. Pretty much the only one that we really just let him kind of go off the rails. And he wouldn't ever go far off the rails, but he kind of would... You know that 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 role just really kind of needed needed to so. be fl- needed to be made more fun. Well, and, and remember, it was very interesting because like right before we started going, we actually had this moment where, we, um, you know, like Simon and the producers and I, like we all got together and um, we actually discussed if we needed this father character. Yeah, the film, yeah. Remember? There was a there was a period where we were just trying to cut the script down, which we always try to do. We always try to pare both the script and the edit down as much as we possibly can. It's kind of like the the overall miss, mission is always like if you can cut something, you should. Um, and there was this discussion over whether the family should even have a father because mm-hmm. it would really trim the script down. And yeah, and I, and I remember you said, "Well, if I was going to do a movie about a single mother, that's the I would have written that from the well, start." Well, I would have written you know, the dynamic. The, it would have been more about the the Dan Stevens character seducing the mom. Exactly. I felt like, and 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 Keith and Jess, you know, to their credit, and that's why we love working with them. We're just like. Oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. But what oh, we didn't, right. but what we didn't expect was that Leland was just going to be so fucking, you know, enjoyable. Yeah, and the and audience is he like really, the favorite he, character. He, he's part of what like helps um, steer the trajectory of the tone of the film at this point. Very much know? so. Because he's right the first here, time you laugh. You yeah, because right here is when the movie starts like easing up into like being more fun because I think at the beginning we wanted to kind of give a little bit of a fake out like this, this was going to be more of a drama and, and play it from that angle and then you know <laughs> well it was funny because all the other actors uh, and, and this was unique for us this was kind of the first time we did this but all the other actors were basically doing their dialogue verbatim from the script and then Leland would just say some stuff and then he, but after every take he'd come and find me and be like Simon I'm so sorry <laughs> he, he clearly wasn't sorry he was doing his job and he was doing it well and he was following your direction but he would just be I, I mangled it Simon I'm sorry and then he'd go <laughs> and he'd do it again. And I was just laughing, laughing, and with my headphones on. But he—I mean, he's—he's he's wonderful, and he really did. That character really did need more than what was on the page. Well, in every every film that we've ever done, I always like try to make as many um, uh, stylistic choices that annoys at least a few viewers. And uh, for this film, <laughs> I think the stylistic choice that I made that like either like people are enamored by or they're totally annoyed by are the, the the zoom in shots of Dan when he's like sitting there staring off you know and and those actually were I don't think they're really annoyed I think, I no think, I know I know they, but like I, that, that 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 whole thing was actually inspired you know not just to show like to give an audience like kind of a moment to like just look at Dan and project your own feelings because we never actually know you know what David's thinking at any point in this movie like we we I think the the whole idea of the film really was for the audience to project what they wanted him to be thinking mm-hmm. anyways. And those moments yeah. are kind of about that. But they're actually inspired by the um the the shoes music video that stars uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm, oh yeah, uh, I'm uh, uh, blanking on the name of the actual song, but um, but that video is like one of the one of the best music videos, if not the best music video I've ever seen. And they have all these great moments where it's just these long zoom in shots of like Jake Gyllenhaal like looking crazy, and you know he's playing kind of a serial killer in it, and and that really inspired me um, at least like going into the film like just. I knew that that was like something I wanted to kind of like utilize that kind of technique, just like, just like pushing in on somebody's face and just letting you kind of, you know, figure out what's going on there. Well, and Dan Stevens, to his credit, just I mean, is so amazing at weird physical challenges like that. Of just like, hey Dan, let's see how long you can go without blinking. Oh, like five <laughs> minutes. Okay. Uh, we haven't really talked actually a whole lot about about Dan Stevens yet, and partially it's because it's because when we do, it's going to be really boring because we're just going to say a bunch of really complimentary things about how much we love him. Uh, that, that's <laughs> Cause, yeah. Because we do. I was just thinking exactly yeah, the same thing. Like yeah. I mean, he was amazing. He was kind of like one of our first, you know, the first names that came up for the role, and and he just went for it one hundred percent. And we we're 
We definitely, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, well, he just looks like a movie star. I mean, like, as soon as I saw him really, like, even with this, like, haircut and, every, you know, and, like, you know, his, like, full workout physique, it's just, like, there's not a bad angle on the guy, you know. And, and on top of that, he's just, you know, a brilliant actor who just has great instincts. Well, and he, and and he gets the humor. I mean, yeah, exactly. you know, like, even that moment right there, the way that he smiles at Brendan, you know, it's, like, stuff like that really draws you in in a very subtle way. And he it, really, he, he was one of the first, I mean, the challenge challenge for us is always finding actors that, that get the humor of what we're doing because the jokes aren't really necessarily there in the script. You just either have to get that it's funny to us or, or it's not, and maybe it's not funny to the viewer, but, you know, that's what we're going for. Um, and, and Dan was one of the first people who, like, really got it. And, and we're, we, you know, we plan to keep working with him because he's, he's definitely, like, one of these people who just creatively we instantly saw eye to eye with. Yeah, and, and this, this, this scene actually was funny because um, this was the uh, very first day of the second week of shooting, and um, Simon and I were um, obligated to go to Comic-Con oh, yeah. during our first two off days f to promote your next. Which was awful. And so we and got back. And I mean, it, promoting it wasn't awful, but it was awful, like, leaving set and getting on a plane. Well, you're so tired that first week because you're just so emotionally drained and like you're, you're still getting used to the the movie schedule in general. You so know? instead, and we like went to San Diego and got shuttled from like interview to interview with Sharni. And yeah, we just, and then, like, and then we didn't sleeping. get back to New Mexico at our hotel till about like two or three in the morning. And yeah, then we had to wake up early. And I actually I actually woke up this morning for the shoot. Um, well, we got with, the call times wrong because we didn't know really know how to read a real call sheet. That's right. Yeah. And they said that like the time had been pushed two hours, and I was like, oh great, like we don't have to be there till like noon or something. But in fact they meant like 8 a.m. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, like, you know, um, I actually woke up from Matt Henderson, the first AD, calling me on the phone saying, hey, we're all here, you know, and like knowing that the shoot was like, because this location was about like 20 minutes outside of our hotel. When we were carpooling to set every day. Yeah. And and talk, I, talk about a bad feeling, though, is like waking up to like somebody saying, hey, the crew's all waiting for you here. Yeah. You know, it's like, how, you know, like, yeah. even like, I'm just like, how can this even happen? Doesn't somebody, shouldn't somebody just be like, like kicking my door down? Yeah. <laughs> that's not that's not our approach to filmmaking is like waiting for the crew to get the shot so, and we're always kind of the first people there or we try to be and, and the last to leave a lot of the time this bar uh, is an actual strip club uh, actually that exists on the outskirts of, of Moriarty New Mexico and like the signs that say like no fighting and stuff were not that, that was just already that, there. that was just there yeah <laughs> um, it was our crew ended up uh, uh, hanging out there a lot but uh I never did. Did you ever go there on one of those? Like I, I went there once, and it was really depressing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and and the food was like okay. <laughs> well, there. Well, that was the interesting thing is staying where we were, Moriarty, New Mexico. There were there was no place to eat after like eight p.m. Mm -hmm. So you know, if you get off, if you'd stop shooting, and frequently we stopped shooting very late at night. But you know, there was nowhere to go. You could you basically your option was to drive like an hour plus into Albuquerque mm -hmm. to find like a place to eat. So so. So a lot of people ended up eating Actually, at our strip club. You know, and something else about this bar that was kind of a challenge for it was the fact that there's, like, no windows in there. And yeah. so all the lighting had, you know, had had was just, you know, in the bar, but... The, if if the camera had actually been turned around in the other direction, um, uh, essentially shooting behind where the camera's looking at now, um, there's an entire... I mean, like, it's it's about three times as big 
in that other direction than what we oh, see yeah. right here. Yeah, there's and, a huge uh, stage area. And we couldn't actually show that because we couldn't light it all. And plus, the, the place would just look too big and empty. And then you would also see that there's like a big, um, you know, stripper pole up there. And yeah, and, uh, yeah. So like the the coverage in the scene had to be like directed in a very particular way, which was kind of annoying because you know there's this big fight. But it was the coolest bar in that area. So we, it was uh, by far our only option. This, by the way, was the first scene I wrote in the script where I was like, actually, maybe we will make this movie. Because like, I was just like, I was kind of like, what am I? Is this like a like? Like, is anyone going to get the humor of this incredibly depressing family drama? Yeah, no. This is yeah. <laughs> I, I remember like, reading this scene and just I was just laughing my ass off. Well, and these know? bullies and and the girls, they were all like local people, and and they were very very funny. Actually, that some of these people were brought by our uh, our kind of action choreographer Clayton Barber, who we've worked with a couple times now. He also worked with us on Your Next, and he's really great. And and he found a couple of these guys who. Who you know could look kind of like high school students, but also knew how to do like a somersault onto a table, <laughs> right. and, and they would do it take after take. I mean, it's so obvious that they like kind of worship Clayton, and and they're such polite, like good people that you know there were no complaints. Uh, they would just the, the main thing you had to worry about was just them not like hurting themselves <laughs> by by being like so gung ho. Uh, so this is obviously a pretty comedic uh, fight scene here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, this was uh, this was a very rushed fight scene to do too. I mean, yeah, like, we, did we not shot the time. entire drive up to the bar and the whole conversation that they had and this fight scene and just like uh, it was just completely all done in two days. And that was, I mean, to try to get all this coverage was insane, you know. But Dan it, really got. I mean, Dan. So Dan was working with Clayton on all this stuff, and I particularly like uh, this little moment up here where the guy tries to hit him with the bottle because Dan moves so fast. Yeah, right? yeah. It's so Terminator-like, yeah. you know. And we didn't speed him up at all or anything. It was just like. Dan just, you know, do it and make it awesome. And I think after three years on Downton Abbey, he was... Of catching punches on Downton. <laughs> he, was, uh, he, was he was a perfect tip <laughs> Well, we should talk a little about that, because uh, after Downton, he'd, he'd gone and he'd done this film, A Walk Among the Tombstones, which, which like our film, as of, as of this commentary track, hasn't come out yet. But he had to lose a lot of weight for that. I guess he's supposedly pretty emaciated in the film. And so when we saw him, he was just, like, real thin... Uh, I think I said in an interview, like, he, he was basically Christian Bale and The Machinist, and we needed Christian Bale and Batman Begins. So the entire time he was doing this shoot, in, in about a month before, he was eating, like, five meals a day and doing, mm. like, 200 sit-ups. And, I mean, he just, he really embraced it. Well, but... and, like, this is, like, the second week, and he had actually filled more into his new physique at this point. You'll see, like, the scenes that are shot in the first week, Dan is much skinnier still because he's working out constantly. Like, I mean, in between, like, almost scenes sometimes, you know. Like, yeah, I mean, he, uh... he visibly bulked up as we shot the film. and Because, I mean, and it was funny. I mean, they'd have, like, a couple hours off, and Clayton would go grab him, and they'd go to the gym. And mm-hmm. I don't know how he didn't go insane, but I think it's, like, part of his approach to acting. Simon and I have always tried to have this moment. This shot, yeah, yeah, where you see, like, the outcome of all the destruction, but we never were able to do it on, like, your next yeah. because our actors all had to go home. Um, but, yeah, so we it was, finally it was important it. that we could get, like, the big aftermath shot. But, yeah, Dan, Dan really put in the time, though, you know, oh, yeah. to, you know, like, you know, just learn the, the, the basics of the fight, the fighting and the gunplay and, uh, and and just, like, his workout routine was, was rigorous, you know. Well, we're not and, at this scene yet, but you remember when he whipped out the butterfly knife and just blew all of our minds? Oh, Cause yeah, because he'd he just been practicing. Se- yeah, he'd just secretly been practicing with a butterfly knife, him and Clayton, of course, and, and so he just whipped it out and did a thing, and we all just, like, basically kind of quietly lost our shit uh, <laughs> you know so in, in Micah Monroe the daughter there uh, she now so Dan we kind of always had in mind but with casting the daughter it was a little scarier because it was again like you know if you look at the way that character just kind of is in the film she's always like the least likable character in like an 80s slasher like the kind of boring like final girl who's like a little uptight 
but we didn't want her to be that way. You know, we wanted her to be strong and funny and sarcastic. And it was kind of playing into 80s nostalgia uh, in the way that, like, the kids are the smart ones who get that there's something incredibly weird about this psychopathic ex-soldier and the parents are totally oblivious. Well, yeah, and, so, she, and, and Micah has a talent for making sarcasm sound likable. Yeah, too, exactly. You know? and, and, and Simon's probably the most sarcastic human being I've ever met. And My scripts so, are very sarcastic, <laughs> which which I don't think people realize necessarily. Adam gets oh, wait, them. We, we should talk about this scene. This, oh, this, th- yeah. We knew that this was going to be a major selling point for the film, and we wanted to really fetishize Dan and really have fun with this moment, you know, because I always saw it as being very funny, and I'm very glad we were able to... Uh, to, to get this song uh, for this moment here, um, Sisters of Mercy playing. But um, the, this, the, uh, to shoot this, um, they, they, they did a little trick that I'd never really heard about before. But uh, what they did is, um, we, well, first off, we wanted to really make sure that Dan was in optimum you know, condition when we showed this moment. We, wanted, we knew this needed to be in the trailer. Yeah, and so and we, we actually saved it towards the last like two weeks of shooting so that we could just like have him totally bulked up to the max and um and what they did is uh they had him stop drinking water like for 24 hours prior to this and eating I think, during right? a new mexico summer we should reiterate it was like 100 degrees and like dry exactly it was so a, it wasn't exactly the safest conditions i, to I mean it worked out fine <laughs> you know it was funny though because so and then right before we shot it he like chugged a coca-cola yeah they chugged a coca-cola and then they get him to like do like 50 or 100 push-ups or something crazy like that so he and was then, just like ripped in and it was also the only i mean it was the only time i ever saw dan even slightly unhappy on set well like like and he you, was and you remember like as well like you remember as well that uh you know we um you know that that scene ended up shooting like it, it took like four or five hours just to shoot that scene because it was okay, raining enough. outside oh yeah and you know they were we were being really anal retentive about his like you know body makeup and like the scars that we were putting on there and trying to make him subtle so they didn't detract from his beautiful body yeah i mean you can barely and, see them but he has these scars which is kind of important to the character you yeah. know that, that he have some battle wounds but like whenever dan and them were coming back to set because like the um the the makeup truck was um was was a little bit of ways uh, in a field there was like this rainstorm and it was covered in mud, so they their, their, the transportation van actually got, got stuck. stuck. We got stuck a bunch of times. We were waiting for like I don't even I don't even remember how long. It felt like forever, but there were definitely sometimes leaving set like driving through like flooded areas where I thought we were gonna like have to spend the night out in the desert. Mm-hmm. And, there, and there were there were there was that one time we couldn't get my car out of there. We eventually had to have like a the construction oh, machine to, but we just left my well, car. Well, actually, there. you remember this scene was originally supposed to take place in the backyard, and we'd actually had the whole backyard rigged oh, up yeah, and ready Tom to go. Oh, yeah, Tom Hammock. Tom Hammock, our production designer uh, who directed The Well, we work with him on everything, and he he was so proud of that backyard. I mean, he really did yeah, make it look great. Yeah, the backyard looked great. It had all these like hanging lights, you know, but but it ended up, you know, like it rained that day, and so. Um, we just didn't want to risk it. But it turned it. out that we just had this like colorful light thing kind of for the end of the movie, and we were just going to have it in the background in one of the scenes here. Uh, but I kind of like the way it looks so much that we just decided to set the whole scene in this. Well, he kind of dressed. Room. I mean, you know, some scenes took place in the interior. So the interior of the house was already dressed. And then he kind of dressed this room as like a safety. Mm-hmm. And then we were just like, yeah, safety looks great, Tom. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. I think he individually took like each one of us out in the backyard well, and just kind of sadly it, showed it to us. I know. And, he, and that great, <laughs> like he, he found that like really cool, like Halloween, and you know, um, instruction video thing oh, that's yeah, playing it's, behind them. Yeah, there's like a public domain. Like, yeah, it's like a public service ha- announcement about Halloween safety. Yeah, Halloween safety is yeah, yeah, like which is like completely. You can 
tell Micah insane. does not smoke marijuana. M- Micah but does, Micah look does at not Chase. Smoke. He was really yeah. taking that like somebody who may smoke well, marijuana. <laughs> well, and Dan does that like insane like French inhale thing. Oh, man. And that was not, they're obviously not smoking marijuana. They were smoking some weird fake, like fake cigarette thing that Micah complained bitterly we, about. We designed that shirt that Chase, is, that's one of my favorite shirts that we made for the film. You only see it really in that moment right there. But I always wish that our crew t-shirts were those, you know? Like, I, yeah, don't know. Like, I hated great. our crew t-shirts. Our our crew t-shirts, I think, were just made by someone. So right, right here, you can really tell Dan is um, much skinnier here because this is like the second or the third day of second shooting. Second or third day, yeah. And you can see that he's not quite as filled out. It's really interesting. Uh, he's much skinnier still here than he is uh, later on in the movie. This is uh, Jesse Lucan, who's on like Justified and stuff, and uh, he basically just kind of came out to New Mexico just because I think he wanted to work with us on this, on this film and was like the nicest guy. Um, and then we just like made him slam his head into a picture again and again and again. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, so it's like, Hey, thanks, thanks for, thanks for liking our careers, pal. But he, he's funny. I've actually ran into him a bunch of times in my neighborhood now. This is uh, also front two, four, two is the band playing here. And, uh, I, I should mention that a lot of, a lot of the music was, um, was really discovered, uh, kind of like between me and um, a friend of ours, uh, Anna Neal, who you know, in some ways, is sort of like um, an inspiration for the Anna character in the yeah, film. Yeah, and so why we kind of just ended up naming her Anna because she had a bunch of weird names. Yeah, we and... just kind of ended up with that. But, but my my friend Anna, um, I took that photo. She, uh, yeah, yes, I forgot. Yeah, Simon <laughs> took all the uh, the photos of like Caleb, but and particularly the cheerleader photos. I took. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Anna Neal. Uh... But yeah, she 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 really um, helped me out. Like. Like, um, I found out that she was really into, like, you know, like, goth and industrial, and she was really knowledgeable about it. And so I, um, you know, I just had her, like, send me, like, just this huge database of stuff. And, like, every week she would just give me more and more tracks. And she actually exposed me to uh, Front 242 and Clan of Zymox and, you know, some some of the, some of the most important um, musical tracks in the film. And I should also mention I really like the fact that we have a Hosiko song playing here. I don't know how many people actually are familiar with the industrial band Hosiko, but that's what's playing This in the bedroom background. is actually some of my favorite of uh, Tom Hammock's work. Mm-hmm. I, I just love the way this bedroom the sex looks. sex kitten and, bedroom. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, with that chandelier and stuff. And the yes. way, I've always thought the way that uh, Dan's pants are unbuttoned right there, it makes it look like he has a little erection. Uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had not. I, I my had. eyes always go to Dan's, like... Oh, and erection. then of course wearing the Your Next mask there. That's uh, that's our composer talking to Joel David Moore. That's yep. Steve Moore. Yeah, uh, Look, looking zombie. looking baked even though he's not. Yeah, he just toured with Goblin and uh, and Adam kind of. He... Well, yeah, talk about a guy who's like created his own reality. I mean, like Steve. I, I've known Steve since my very first movie, Homesick. He scored that film uh, in his band Zombie, and Zombie in a, in a way was a very it, not it's not a tribute band or anything, but it was clearly created. Um, you know, as a sort of homage band initially, I think to 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 bands like Goblin and stuff. Yeah, uh, or that's where they were inspired. I would never say that they were, you know, trying to. So be Adam, that or Adam actually, I think spent spent his own money to fly Steve down to set, uh, right? Well, or... I, I, that, that's one of those things where, like, as soon as you offer to spend your own money, oh, okay. like <laughs> the producers, you know, especially <laughs> Keith and Dash, they'll never actually let, let me. You? It's just okay. a matter All of right. like showing showing them how important. serious you are. Yeah. Because to me, like, I, I like to have my music composed ahead of time, at least like fifty percent of it. You know. You know, mm-hmm. and and to me it was also important. So you can I've learned to in it? the past. Yeah, I've learned in the past too that the composers need to know how um, important it feels on the set when you're shooting. Yeah, you know? because that everyone's it's hard working to really that. hard. Yeah, yeah and they're off just, on their own. There's a magic going on on the set, and if you're not there, you, you're not going to be quite as invested. And so it was to me important that 
Steve there, was there for just a few days just to get the experience and the atmosphere and just see kind of like early on what was going on. And um, and we chose to just go ahead and bring him down in the first few days just so I could actually throw him in a cameo here as well. Yeah, which ended up being kind of fun. But but yeah, and Joel David Moore, you know, he's just kind of friends with some friends of ours. And Yeah, he, well, it, he, it's funny because like I had put off uh, meeting Joel for a couple weeks uh, because like all these things kept popping up and... Uh, I'd moved my uh, actor meeting with him uh, like twice or three times, and um, eventually we met up. And strangely enough, like that actor meeting is how I ended up meeting my girlfriend, which I've been dating for a year now. But, yeah, you uh, guys met at like her coffee house, right? Yeah, she worked at the coffee shop, and Joel and I were there, you know, doing our um, our actor thing, and yeah. um, and and she ended up like hanging out with us, and it turned into this whole night where we all three of us hung out to like. Uh, like one in the morning and uh, <laughs> it, it was it was pretty surreal actually in retrospect just but. it's even just surreal having kind of joel david moore just hanging out on set like kind of reading his like like dan brown novels and then <laughs> like, well i gotta go to avatar two two and three and four <laughs> yeah. in a little bit but i was able to squeeze this in he's he's really funny that um, this, this is I, I just love this shot like because oh, uh, the people the, the clowns wrestling in the back or the, the cow wrestling in the background yeah and, stuff. The, and, and i this movie just it, it was the first time in a while that i've been able to really focus on my Christmas life fetish, you know? And, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. It came back with a vengeance. Well, I needed a real excuse to do it because with A Horrible Way to Die, I just kind of like threw it in in every scene because I needed like some sort of like production design because we our production designer was not very good at his job. And, um, you know, I just needed something to kind of like flare up the scenes. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, coming up with this movie taking place in Halloween was just almost an excuse for me, I think, to, you know, pepper the film with Christmas lights in the background. <laughs> I think we made all those background extras come see. Uh, we made them all go see your next in Albuquerque when it opened. <laughs> We this this is a reshoot. Like this is the first time we shot it right here. These first close-ups, which turned out because we were actually just pulling out of the parking lot and they were just kind of going. And over we the shot scene. it twice because it was too shaky. We thought maybe. The, no, the first time it was uh, the real issue was that the oh the, the squeaking. Uh, yeah, the windows were rolled down and the trailer was squeaking too much and it picked up on because the they're audio. not. Yeah, they're on a they're on like a tow rig kind of here. They're like mm -hmm. like 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 Adam and I are on like a truck in front of them, squinting at a monitor with headphones on, mm -hmm. and they're being towed behind us with like an entire crew hiding around them and lights aiming in at yeah. them and you could just hear yeah, all it, that stuff the, the, the trailer we used was just so squeaky and, and it was not good and i think this, it was this, the only one we had to reshoot a couple of these driving scenes for that reason we, it was very problematic actually but uh I mean, one of the only problems with shooting in in a union state like new mexico where everyone you hire has to be in the union is that we were shooting when like transcendence and that Seth MacFarlane movie, A Million Ways to Die in the West, were both shooting. And so kind of all the, like, really, really, like, expensive crew people had gone to do those shoots and get paid a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And we kind of got, like, you know, you couldn't hire anyone non-union or out of state. So you kind of got, like, the last one. Well, and a lot of our, our crew kept, like, leaving. Yeah, they'd and then leave they to would, go do a commercial. They, or, or, the, or, or they would be, like, a day player on the Seth MacFarlane movie or something because they yeah. would get offered, like, you know, like just, like, a day's worth of work, which was better than pay than we were giving them. And so, so you just show there wasn't a lot of allegiance for a lot of I mean, there, that's not for everybody, but there was definitely quite a few guys that were kind of one foot in, one foot out. But I understand that's kind of a norm, you know. I, I, yeah, and I get that. I mean, it's not like we're, like, coming back there to shoot another movie, like, right now, you know. And our, our DP, Robbie Baumgartner, who we've become great friends with and, and is just obviously doing pretty amazing work throughout this film. Uh, he had a really, like, crack team 
Um, but then like, well, this, this was um, this is one of Robbie's like first like full DP um, credits that he's ever done, and uh, you know he he's been he was like a gaffer on like There Will Be Blood and stuff, right? Well, yeah, well, he was lighting director or lighting something director. on There Will Be Blood. He was there for the whole thing. I mean, like he he has amazing stories, like because he um, like on There Will Be Blood, for instance, he he would always have an earpiece in, and he got them to send the dialogue uh, track into his earpiece so that he always knew exactly what was going on so we could run in there and adjust lights and stuff and be as efficient as possible but he heard every single take pretty much of there will be blood you know which is incredible you know, yeah. Through, yeah so I, I mean i can't even imagine the, but he, he was like a second unit dp on a lot of things like the hunger game the first two hunger games movies and stuff like that and so he he kind of had just been working his way up but i mean he he really went all out on this, and he's, yeah, just, and he, I, he's I, just the kind of guy who goes all out on everything. Yeah, I've just never worked with somebody who just had such a mastery of um, of working with his crew, you know. And they all respected him because they everybody knew that he, and some of them he had worked with before in different capacities. But everybody knew that this is a guy that didn't just like have the job handed to him. He's a guy that's been working in the in the trenches for you know. Yeah, he like knew he knew how to do years, he yeah. knew how to do everyone's job, and and that that means a lot, I think, when you're a crew member and you know you're. You know, you know th- this this right here is one of the best creative collaborations between all three. You know, all all of us, the producers, me and Simon, um, because I had this song that from the very beginning I wanted to use, and originally I'd found this song because you know we I was trying to find music for this movie that we were going to do in Korea, and I was like thinking about using it there, but we didn't end up doing the movie, and. Um, and so, but I felt like thematically the song was just perfect. It, to me, it was almost, I could tell it was going to be sort of like the looking for the magic kind of, of this movie, you mm-hmm. know? And, um, uh, and, and so like we were trying to find a, I, I wanted to find a place for it. And whenever it came to this sequence here in the script, it was like, she lays down in the bed, you know, and, uh, and then it cuts to like Dan in the other room or something. Yeah, like I don't remember there. how I wrote it, yeah. And we were talking about it, we're like, well, she could be listening to the song and then we can cut over next door and then show Dan, you know, while the music's playing over it. And then you're like, well, you know what the Hollywood way would be is she lays down and there's a shot overhead. Oh, like you know? tracking from one room to another, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah, and because uh, I, actually I think it was like, it, it might have even been Keith's original idea to like show Dan sitting in there by himself or something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. You know, but like, you know, you're like, oh, we should like track overhead. And I was like, well, why don't we just do it outside the window? It, but it was like everybody had their own kind of like input on that moment. And it's actually one of like my favorite moments in the movie. Well, and it worked so. out great. I mean, it was one of the few things that like the like the first time or second time we tried to shoot it. It was like, oh, yeah, actually that we got it, I think. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it was like the very last thing of the night. And like, I remember like Dan was really sleepy. We kind of had to wake him up and just set him down on the <laughs> set him down on there. And it's like, all right, don't Blake, Here we go. Boom. You know, there's some uh, there's some weird dialogue tweaks in this scene just to make sure that people actually got... This is probably my least favorite scene in the film, just because... Just because the dialogue is so on the nose and weird. Well, yeah, well, I just felt like I didn't really, like, cover it that well and that, uh, you know, I just didn't really... It was just one of those, like, sometimes you just have these scenes that just, you know, you just have to kind of rush through. and. Well, you know. it was another thing that, like, when I wrote it, like, I was picturing a completely different house. Mm-hmm. So finding, like, a way for her to hear him when he's outside, but he wouldn't see her. It was a little her, bit more forced, yeah. But it would still house, feel yeah. plausible that he would be saying those things when he could possibly be with an earshot. I, li- I do like that Dan chose to do, like, a slightly different accent. For when right. he's talking to like someone who's not a member of the family, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that kind of illuminates the character in a really good way. And it was kind of written that way, but uh, I don't think anyone ever said that to him. He just picked up on it. 
Um, and then this is our, these were reshoots. This is the reshoots. We, we well, not reshoots, I guess, augments. They yeah, were well, additional like photography. Additional, yeah. <laughs> well, what happened was is that we um, had shot the movie and we had edited it and we had, you know, put together a screening for a test screening. And we realized there was no scene where A.J. Bowen shows up and explains the plot. And so, <laughs> you know. Um, no, I mean, it was really people didn't, when 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 later in the film, when, when Lance Reddick and his team of kind of contractors show up and start shooting up the house and stuff people were really uh i guess the polite way to put it is confused well there's just there wasn't enough build up to it and um and and and, and so we we kind of once we realized that that was a major issue um we, we just you know came up with this sequence here and th- this was a real like back and forth between all of us trying to yeah, figure out what I mean, this I, sequence was i did be. like 14 drafts of this scene just trying to even figure out what i wanted it to be i, I um, we ended up having a great time shooting this though because i love i just love the, the the sleekness of the office building that we ended up this at. This is actually the L.A. Times office in downtown Los Angeles. So these were like L.A. shoots. Uh, yeah, and by the way, right around that corner back there, there's, there's like some web webisode going yeah, on. Yeah, about like actually, superheroes. It, it wasn't even, they were trying to do a pilot. It was but a like web we, pilot. Yeah, and what we'd have to do is in between every take, they would get a take and then and we would get, get a chance to take. And like we started harassing them. We were kind of like the big the big jerks in, the, in this. Well, like we were group. totally the big jerks. Every single time we had to wait for them, we were like, webisodes filming. <laughs> yeah. But we weren't like trying to be like jerks. It was just like, there was just like, oh. <laughs> Oh, God, we have point, to wait for this like, now. Really, like, nobody's going to watch your stupid pilot. Like, it looks so bad. And it was like, we're over here trying to, like, finish our movie. You know, yeah. they actually cost money. we got Lance stuff. Reddick over here. Come on. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it, it, it was, it was you know, Adam and I, and, and actually we should credit uh, Keith and Jess, our producers, really with this, but, but we've become really uh, in favor of the audience testing process. I know a lot of, like, you know, kind of directors are really scared of that. But the thing is, if you... To do that with a studio is probably a really scary process. But if you do that on your own before mm-hmm. you're even working with a studio, well, it can be really, really smart. Really the only thing that it, you want to avoid with those test screenings is you don't want to be in a position where an executive or somebody has an agenda. Yeah, that they using want them to, to push an agenda. Exactly. But if you're Which just I think with your producers that you trust and have been working with from the beginning, like ours, if everyone's using that to make the best possible movie, exactly, it, it, it can be invaluable because it really does. T- and also, then when a studio comes to you and they're like, "Hey, we want to test it," you can be like, "Hey, we already did that. Here's the results." Exactly. You know? Uh, Ethan Embry we should talk about a lot. Yeah, little. like, well, um, you know, what's funny is uh, Keith and Jess were involved with um, with purchasing our friend Evan Katz's movie Cheap Thrills, which, which, uh, which stars Which we, we brought them to at South By, and we're like, hey. Well, I, we specifically <laughs> had them go to the South By screening because I wanted them to see Ethan because I was interested in him playing one of these roles in the movie. But and, they ended uh, up uh, working with Draft House to distribute our, our friend's film. Yeah, we had was, no idea they were going to like it that much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we were, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they ended up liking it a lot. Uh, and then, and then you know, the whole time, uh, you know, that Evan was doing, uh, and w- when we say Evan, we mean, of course, E.L. Katz mm-hmm. is, his, is his name on screens. Um, the entire time Evan was doing cheap drills, he was like, you know, you guys got to really look at Ethan Embry for whatever you're doing next. Like, yeah, and we're like, and we're really, like, Ethan Embry? Right. Really? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Harley Wade? Like, yeah, right. Ethan Embry. You know, you, like, okay, uh, all right. But then you meet him and you're like, oh, yeah, this guy is amazing. Um, um, he's very fun. And he's amazing in Cheap Thrills. It's very clear that, that, you know, that he's, like, in, in this new kind of... Um, yeah, he kind of steals a lot of Cheap Thrills in, in a really interesting way. Well, he's in a new phase of his career, too, where he's kind of reinvented himself. Because yeah, he, looks, is, it, he 
has become a harder human being, I think. You oh, know? yeah. And I mean, it's, he does. It's for real. He's not, he's not like this, like, like goofy kid anymore. Oh, by the way, this is actually the very first day of shooting. Um, and we kept getting shut down for thunderstorms for a lot of this. You can kind of tell that sometimes it goes from like natural sunlight to like fake sunlight a couple of times, but you have to really look for it. Well, it, it's interesting, too, just watching these early scenes that we shot because it, you can see, you know, like that I'm trying to still figure out kind of like the, the style and the, and, and the shots style that I'm going to do for the whole movie you know because at the end of the day like it wasn't until really that we shot this scene that I really knew that we were going to go more comedic with the entire film I'd always kind of yeah. like I'd always thought the script was funny I thought your next was really funny too but that movie yeah. ended up being darker I think you know in a lot of ways and uh some people think it's funny <laughs> yeah some people think that we <laughs> we think it's we think it's funny <laughs> yeah. we intended it to be funny um, that you know, Joel David Moore again to his credit really threw himself down quite a few times. Oh, in that, that that's the real Anna actually. By the way, on the phone, you can't really see her that well, but uh, uh, oh yeah, that's yeah. That's, I'm not even sure I knew that. Yeah, that's a, like a picture of her right there. I was on set, but I didn't know that. Um, and uh, and again, we tried to do that Joel David Moore blood hit practically. So he was running with this giant backpack full of like blood and explosives, uh, and it didn't go it didn't off. go off. Yeah, that's or like it did go off, but it went off inside his jacket and just soaked his back exactly with blood, which is par for the course. Yeah, exactly. So he's miserable. Well, you, I was shocked because whenever we shot Ethan Embry in the head, oh, yeah, the, the effect worked. worked on the very first try. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, I have found the dream team. Yeah, you this know? is the way the shoot's gonna go, and, yeah. and that was the last time that happened. Literally, <laughs> it was the last time that happened. Every <laughs> single thing from that point forward uh had to had to be completely reset at least once and and we never got that blood to look right so we we ended up yeah, that's, if, that's a if, digital blood puff which looks fine yeah it does you if, never if you're know. not familiar with mine and simon's other commentaries where we complain about our bitterly working, definitely go bitterly. see uh uh your next commentary and you'll just hear us <laughs> complaining about effects going wrong and that seems to be our theme actually know? i think if anything we were a little more polite back then but 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 <laughs> not with any good reason we should have complained even more bitterly um you know look no one wants to listen to a commentary track where all you talk about is how brilliant everything was and what a good time everyone had and you know what you like adam says a million times if you're if you're having a good time on set you might want to look at what's going on because you shouldn't be you should be stressed out because you should be trying to get everything perfect yeah you're you're working you know it's like you know like and you know i've been on a lot of shoots and you know with 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 people in their, you know, 20s getting started and stuff. And, you know, and, and, and a lot of people, like, when they first start becoming filmmakers, I, I, I think, like, they, they want to believe that their brilliance um, uh, needs to be recognized no matter what decisions they're making. Yeah, you know? the uni- they're just waiting for the universe to validate their Yeah, genius. and so that they should Which, by even... the way, I felt the same way at that age. Yeah, and, 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 and yeah, exactly, I did too. And, you know, and <laughs> like, you know, but you, you, you had this feeling like, we're going to shoot this movie and we're going to have a great time doing yeah. it. This is going to be a party, you know what I'm saying? And I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm going to hit on the, this actress, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, that is not what it's about. No, man. it really isn't. Like, it's, it's, it's just about like, you know, getting through day to day and, you know, cause at the end of the day, like, I mean, I, I can't really remember, you know, that well, what happened every day after shooting other than. No, cause you're so stressed out and exhausted. And it doesn't matter. It's like <laughs> this movie still exists here, but yeah, like all the, the issues going on around it, you know, this movie's just, forever. Uh, or at least until like like things get really bad. <laughs> um, so uh, I should talk a little bit about Chase actually. Yeah, um, Chase like, we knew from John dies at the end. Really. Yeah, and he he kind of like I I tweeted at uh, about that how much I really loved uh, John dies at the end, and he you know like um, you know like tweeted back at me or something like that. And it was that simple where. You know, he kind of reached out through Twitter and was just like, "Hey, man, how's it going?" And I and Chase and I ended up becoming friends um, after that. And strangely enough, like there was a moment before the the 
the everything fell in place um, and we started shooting the guest, you know, where, you know, I would say about two weeks before pre-production started, I thought there was a really good chance that um, that the movie wasn't going to happen. And mm-hmm. so I was really discouraged. And I was like, I got to shoot something. And so I took Chase and um, and my friends Anna and Chelsea and uh, Lauren and um, and we all went out to Las Vegas and we started shooting like a little mumblecore thing. We actually shot a whole 20 minute opening scene um for this like really weird movie that's kind of about like cults and hypnosis and stuff and and then like suddenly it was like okay we're ready to do the guest yeah, can you go being, to new mexico in like two days and it's like it ended okay. up being the best possible like audition reel yeah, yeah it was you know so i'd already had like a rapport with him and i just put that movie on hold and i've never i haven't picked it up yet but you know like i i actually have quite a few projects like I could put out a whole DVD now of like lost movies, you know. Oh yeah, like, pre- the pregnancy movie. Yeah, like with we. Joe Swanberg uh, like, and, I, and Chris I'd actually Swanberg. started filming a movie when uh, Joe Swanberg's wife was pregnant when I was living with. I love I shot, that footage, honestly. Oh, I do too. Yeah, I shot about like fifteen minutes worth. And of it was going to be like stuff. Boyhood, basically. That was your plan was basically. Richard I think Linklater's I can still boyhood. pick it up. I, that's the thing about it is that like it, it because I have such an authentic moment of Chris Swanberg. Being pregnant in that film. Well, another another ch- child, Jude Slumberg, is in like, is Happy star, Christmas so it's and kinda, stuff. It's kind of interesting because yeah. I have I have a whole movie. I don't where know if you can just... get him anymore. You might have to cast like another kid <laughs> to play Joe and Joe and Chris's kid. Yeah, he's too big for us. Well, now. it's fun. It's funny though because when I first heard about Richard Linklater's Boyhood, I was like, "That's what Adam and Joe were gonna, were doing." Like, and I was working on that, and like. You know, like it was like, yeah, it was like that. That's exactly that was your plan. It was going to be like when they're pregnant, when the kids like three, yeah. when the kids like seven. It still can, still can. Still I just can. need to get back into it. You know? Well, but, you well know, and on top we're of that, we also busy. we also did we uh, like Simon and I worked on this one movie uh, that we shot before even and during a horrible way to die. Years oh yeah, ago. what fun we were having. Yeah, but. which is like an anthology that's like these like like kind of comedic horror date rape shorts yeah but they're um, all none of them when we say date rape shorts it requires clarification that they're none of them are about like women being like physically victimized in any way it's all like different ways of looking at it and, and frequently the victims are are you know not who you think well one day we'll we'll put it out in some capacity and people can just see I, what the hell we're talking i was about. I, you know i was only kind of peripherally involved in one segment of that but so maybe that's why i love it so much is because it's more your thing but i i love that movie but it, it was but, a yeah, very low it's, budget it's, thing it's a lost film yeah so yeah. one day i'll put out a a, a set of um pro- like half-assed projects that i've <laughs> made and uh, put on hold and uh never finish although the date rape one is totally date rape one is totally, i mean it premiered at fantasia and then we were just like no nah, let's never show this again yeah it was uh it, it just there wasn't a, it didn't make sense in the slate of things that we were putting out and to me it's it, it, it's kind of more interesting to kind of hold on to it and just like live, wait, kind of simmer. wait like 20 years yeah and then I think just it'll like age really well yeah i do too yeah, but it, like, it'll, it'll be an interesting piece because you can see like the progression you know but joe um, and aj are in it and they're both incredible and lane hughes is in it it's, yeah it was the first every, time we worked with joe swanberg and carol you know like, yeah everyone we and, and it's like literally like three days after shooting horway die we shot a segment with aj bowen as a hypnotist and stuff and, yeah uh, it's like it's like a lot of people who are who are in our other films are in it and, and doing incredible i mean it's why it's why we ended up I mean, the experience of, I think, working with Joe on that was kind of why we ended up really working with Swanberg so much. Oh, yeah, yeah, after that. he was just so good. And, well, that's why we cast him in A Horrible Way to Die. And he's incredible. And, and then and you're now next. This, and, and by the way, this is actually, the, you know, before we had AJ in the reshoot, this was actually the first <laughs> time that we had done a movie where we didn't have any of our kind of We'd never worked with any of these people. You'd worked with Chase alumni, a you know? little bit, but everyone else was a totally new experience. Exactly, yeah. Which, which we felt like that's what we wanted. And, 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 and there's no real mumble core or so-called mumblecore actors in it you know uh, in this film because this was the first time really that 
I wanted to do a movie that pretty much had no improvisation at all in it. You know, your next like, you know, the first like twenty minutes of the film, it was important that the family dynamic be established in a kind of mumblecore kind of way. And that movie was always conceived as sort of, yeah, there, there a, you was... know, a mashup of mumblecore and, and slasher and, and, and home invasion stuff, as was A Horrible Way to Die, and but with serial killer stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, like, I mean, one, I think mumblecore is kind of like, it, it, it's kind of run its course, you know, um, you know yeah. uh, for whatever it is, you know. Seems um, like all the people that used to be doing that now have like HBO shows. Exactly. Or star shows. And, 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 and we you don't. know, I, I wanted to get out of that. And it's really frustrating to shoot like improvisational dialogue because you, you real... just don't have any, um, any control over, you know, the, the blocking to a certain degree because it's yeah, going it to be limits... different every time. Well, certainly and... if you're doing like an action thing. I mean, even we found this out with your next. It's, a, you know, it's great to get on set and kind of figure out what the actors are going to do. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing a special effect that's designed to be seen from a certain angle, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that doesn't work. This, uh, that, that police officer standing behind chasing that scene is an actual cop who is actually yeah. just there <laughs> doing like, I think just making sure we didn't wreck the police station, which by the way... The, like, like in Moriarty, New Mexico, it's basically like the purge every night because the police station closes at 5 p.m., we found out, and every cop just kind of goes off duty because that's just what they have the budget for. And so, I mean, we, we just showed up, and there was, like, no one there. It was like we were, like, ringing bells and stuff and just walking around the police station. It was very surreal. But anyway, that's a real cop uh, standing behind Chase and I think doing exactly what he would, in fact, really be doing, <laughs> which I think was your direction for him. It's just like, yeah, this guy is, you know. But I do like the idea that David has, like, framed, uh, you know, the, the, the Dan Stevens character has framed Chase Williamson's character for these murders. And we well, established earlier that he, like, knows his van because he gets the kegs and stuff. But, you know, I, I never, I, I, I can never tell how many people realize, like, how, how funny we think it is that, um, that we, because we, we purposely wanted uh, to paint in this reason why we cast Chase, uh, we wanted the her her so-called drug dealer boyfriend to be just like a super nice normal guy. Yeah, like a and really. So the whole joke of this is the fact that Leland is just like you know talking about like you know just how awful like drug dealers, yeah, you know, like pot yeah. dealers are like that yeah. murder is like a thing that is a yeah. He conflates like selling marijuana with. But with I murder. always wonder. I always wonder because like you know like because this scene get... for the most part you know feels very serious because the actors are very serious in it. But like I don't. I well, can Mike never tell so how, many, how, how much of the audience is really uh, understanding, you know, just how hilarious Leland is in this. <laughs> well, I think it's, I, I thought this was a great scene because I think Dan and Leland are both being very funny and, and Sheila and Micah are, are both kind of playing it very straight to mm-hmm. kind of make that work. Well, and um, the thing about shooting with Leland, too, is that it's really, it's really I mean, difficult Brandon sometimes because Leland is so funny. Like, he, he just has the best sense of humor. And I, I remember this night in particular, like, like Micah was getting frustrated because you know she's supposed to be crying in the scene, and Leland was just so fucking funny. And yeah, know, she, yeah, and she Micah, just had to be like, no, quit had it. To, like, you have go, to stop. go off set and like listen. To, she was always like listening to like kind of like depressing music. You should take a close look at those um, those dog tags on uh, on the Blu-ray when you have a chance. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which in terms of character stuff, I I think we're just assuming he took it off. He like took it off a corpse as he was like leaving the hospital. Have we talked about Brendan? No, we haven't really. Not really. Brendan is. Brendan is incredible. Yeah, and he's the son character, which is like strangely in the background of the scene. Yeah, given doing nothing literally. To do. <laughs> yeah, this is a perfect scene to talk about Brendan because he spent all night just standing in the background looking serious. <laughs> yeah, and does not have a single line of dialogue. But um, in, in but, true Brendan form, he never complained uh, about it or anything. Brendan was yeah. having such a good time. Brendan is a really interesting actor. Not only is that in that he's just like 
very young but also very brilliant and able to kind of well, find the humor in well scenes. you remember the audition process it was one of the oh, most unique yeah. ones because you know like for the finding the um micah in the anna role took, we went took i mean we went through time. so many actors and looked at so many people and i feel like we met like every and actress. it was really difficult because no, there was only i i would say in competition with her there was only maybe two other actresses yeah. that even came close but but micah was by far always the top choice. yeah she um, made us laugh right away and we and just got but when it. it but when it came to oh by the way i love dan did that perfectly every time just just randomly picking up that thing with the knife yeah, i was, was sure a, that was going to slide off every take but somehow he was able to pick well, up that the was, dog tags and that was knife. an improvisation that he just did i mean yeah. that's kind of what dan is great at is just kind of finding like things to do that just augment the moment um but like uh for the auditions for the um brendan's character role um uh, you know he was actually the very first person we saw and he was he the first in, luke we read yeah yeah he he came in and he read for the role and i remember like I really liked, I could tell he was very intelligent and he had like pretty much the right take, but it was a little off. And I remember I gave him one note and then it was like, boom, it was like a hundred percent perfect. And I was just, like, yeah. So it was like immediately showed that like he had the character down, he had the intelligence, he had the right look and he could take direction. You well, know? we were like, oh my God, this is going to be great. Like, yeah, we, this is great. We this is so, the first well, Luke. Well, we were so worried that no one was going to get Luke because Luke is such a weird internal character, <laughs> yeah. but he has to be so funny. And we were like, oh my God, it's going to be a breeze. And then every actor after that, we were like. Wow. Okay. Really oh, we actually just, we just it, saw the best. It one was first. just that first okay. guy. I really got it. <laughs> Brendan is is he's such an interesting guy. It, it, he he. I mean, if you walk up to Brendan and are like, man, who won like who won best act who won the best actress Oscar in like 1953? He'll, he'll he can tell you instantly. I mean, he just is like this weird encyclopedia of film. He he directs stuff. He's like doing like weird stuff right now. But but he's he's just remarkably great. Oh yeah, in this scene right here, it was actually about to start storming outside. And, oh yeah, um, the thunder in this in this yeah, scene the, is this real. Yeah, this moment right up here, whenever um, Dan's intimidating her, and uh, we threw in that almost it almost feels like a cheesy moment of like, oh, the thunder just happens to go like right in this moment right here, you know. Um, but what ended up happening is that right when we did this, that's actually real thunder. I mean, we 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 augmented we it. augmented it, you know. Uh, but but uh, we're covering thunder with actual. Thunder. Exactly, yeah. because it, it just like happened in this like really magical moment. It was like right at the peak of when it should have happened. It just went off, and uh, so we ended up keeping. And that was actually the only time that Thunder ever interrupted a shot either. Yeah, film, and it, it was like, oh, that was great. That worked out great. Uh, th there's a, there's a. Uh, you should check the deleted scenes because there's a, there's a second half to this scene that I yeah, always, that, I always personally missed. Yeah, yeah. It just didn't, uh, it didn't flow with the running time in the movie. Well, but it doesn't move the plot forward in any yeah, way. But so. there's just a little extra moment where Dan kind of peeks back in. And it kind of brings humor back. Yeah, into it it's just a little more. sillier than you know, which is kind of what we're going for this whole movie. This was such a weird tonal balancing act because you know Dan's character is always going to be the most likable character, but we wanted to take that process to some dark places. So, so you know, there's a lot of scenes like that last one that are like really serious and then get kind of goofy at the end. He's like, you know, and we wanted to, we hammered that home a bit. And yeah, you, I felt there was a little bit of a debate about. Um, Lance's uh, over-the-top Gestapo jacket, but I, I felt like it oh, was really I, important. I was never debating about it. <laughs> I, I felt like it was really important that um, that 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 a we kind of like tie in uh, Americans, uh, you know, uh, uh, Operation Paperclip program with the Nazis, uh, and this is <laughs> you know with the whole like kind of Gestapo look. But the uh, you know I really I like the idea that uh, Lance's character sort of. A, a real man in black and that he would actually his character would actually kind of play up like the almost surrealness of yeah. him showing up at a house so that like if 
you know, the mom, like, later on, like, you know, like, would tell somebody that, like, a bunch of armed guards and a, and, and, and a guy in a, you know, a six-foot-four guy in a trench coat, a black leather trench coat interrogated her, you know, that they'd be like, you're crazy. Yeah, right, you know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I want to, I we should talk a little more about KPG, but I do want to say that, that the overhead establishing shot of this scene is, I think, the only drone shot that actually ended up in the final movie. Well, there's a few during the car accident oh um, yeah 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 but, that's right uh, some overhead angles of the car accident we had this weird like like actual drone thing with like a slr that basically you can see some of it work. in the there's some beautiful shots of it actually in the uh, deleted scenes for the alternate opening there's some incredible looking uh, aerial footage that unfortunately just isn't in the film because uh, it didn't work the bully actor with the banjo in there kelsey's doing some pretty funny improv in this scene yeah he th- this actor right here yeah kelsey his uh, role got bully. kind of augmented because he was so funny yeah he just he he was he was very funny kid and uh, yeah we kept yeah we kept adding adding roles we actually considered putting him in the haunted house at the end of the film like part of his um, uh, yeah, yeah, just having him at the end just to be kind of a wild card. Yeah, that, yeah, and like, but we just lot. we were so behind on schedule, we just couldn't je- making you know, those scenes any we, more we complicated. Because then we would another one of the kids, or yeah, you know, yeah. But, make, I mean, it wasn't like we were getting great results with the kill scenes that we had. You know, it was yeah, like it was just too much. But uh, but we but we did. But he wasn't originally written to be in the uh, principal's office, actually. No, um, but he was just so. But funny. we loved him, and you know, and so we we ended up just adding him every moment that we could, you know. <laughs> he, he should move to L.A. I think Keith told him that. I think Keith was like, I never say this to anyone, but you should actually move to L.A. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, like do, like, do this for a living. Um, you know, KPG, I kind of, I, I, I kind of, I didn't obviously say this to AJ because it would have made him very confused, but I kind of always liked the idea in my head that because it's KPG Corporation, which is where the father works in your next, and it's part of a big part of VHS2, mm-hmm. um, is that uh, the AJ character in this is a weird genetic clone of Crispin Davison from Your Next mm-hmm. that the father mm-hmm. has secretly made and now just works in an office. And I don't think he ever is allowed to leave that office. Yeah. I think he just like like goes to hibernates <laughs> hibernates at night. They just turn him off at night. And then so the like, real question is is like is uh, Crispin in Your Next the real Crispin? Or is he or another is clone? He the clone? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's could, why he's a malfunctioning clone. That's why he uh, tries to set up the family. I think the, I think I think conversations like this are why we have a hard time being serious in interviews. It's because <laughs> we've already like thought these things through to like past the point of it, giving any serious response to anything. Um <laughs> This, uh, this, yeah, yeah, this kind of moment here uh, in the principal's office was was another uh, kind of, really cool. yeah. Originally, kind of Kelsey's giving him like a weird. Yeah, that, there. yeah. That scene actually ended on a great little note where, uh, but we cut it out just because it, it didn't fully work. Just, in the, just in, in the in the too in, long. Yeah, it just didn't fit. Um, but Brennan kind of looks over and is smiling, and Kelsey glares at him, and Brennan stops smiling. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a good little moment actually. But uh, this uh, this actor Frank Bond, uh, it, you know, he was he was a local find. Yeah, he's one. Just, I think he's the best local actor that we've ever hired. Actually, um, I, I mean, it, it's it's it was remarkable kind of watching him and Dan kind of go at it. He, he, he d- it was weird, like, because I didn't expect to find a principal that would be just this perfect, you know? Because I like that he also, like, has kind of, like, you could see him in, like, a Fairly Brothers movie almost or something. Like, he has that, like, he, he, he can play over the top but realistically. And the, this scene is always, um, every time we've played it at uh, festivals, is the number one crowd-pleasing scene. Well, he like, really got the humor. I mean, this goes to the kind of 80s sensibility of this film where all the authority figures are in competent and and the children are the only ones who get it but i mean he he really transformed in his audition he kind of pulled his chin back the way he's doing and kind of really played it like a nickelodeon kind of 
Like, you can't do that on television-style principle, which is completely what I was going for in the writing. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. Like, yeah, because he, he understood that, like, you had to kind of, like, hate the principle, you know? And so, like, he played it in that, like, you know, almost, like, stereotypical principle, you know, like, authority, like, kind of way. You know? And I think when I wrote this, like, like bullying was, like, a big kind of, like, news story. Like, that 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 Weinstein documentary, Bully, had just come out and stuff. And it, it felt like it was it was time to kind of you know do something ridiculous <laughs> yeah yeah and i think I, yeah i think this is just a very empowering scene for for, for the audience well, yeah i mean because you yeah. do hate the bullies and you do want luke to like you know triumph and and i think it and, and who I, doesn't like seeing an authority figure you know get get their ass handed to him anyways you know? <laughs> well and i and i like that uh you know it solidifies the the david luke friendship to the point where it, it sells kind of the next scene which is when everyone in the audience watches this way always goes oh no yeah oh luke don't don't, don't tell him that yeah, um, because really, like, I, I feel like for Dan a, a lot of the audience is like, and this is also, you know, obviously the turning point in the movie, but this is kind of the pinnacle of everybody's investment with the David and Brendan, like, relationship and everything. And so, in some ways, I feel like there's, like, a lot of people who, when the movie kind of goes more in its action um, direction after this point, are a little bit disappointed because I think they're they're enjoying, you know, where this plot has gone so much. But, you know, we just can't help ourselves. We had to blow some shit up. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was the whole point. This, uh, is- this, this actually, um, like, whenever we were planning this sequence, I had... I knew that I wanted to do a moment where the camera lingers on uh, Dan's face whenever he's telling him, you know, all this stuff, and it just holds on him, and we see his reaction slowly change. And I was trying to figure out, like, the most interesting way of pulling that off, and originally I was thinking, you know, something more simple, like they're leaned up against the lockers talking, and it's more of a standard kind of shot. Uh, but the, the morning of coming here yeah, to shoot this, written, definitely. yeah, in the morning, you know, of shooting this, um, <laughs> Robbie, the DP, just comes up to me. And he's like, "What do you think about doing a 360?" Yeah, for this? And I was like, "Yeah, it sounds cool," well, you know, because like, I've never really done photos. a 360 at all in any movie ever. And I was like, "Yeah, sure, that that sounds fun." And uh, and it, it was the perfect lighting and just the set for it because yeah. the way the hallways move, it it, it keeps. It's different enough so that it it keeps it from like almost making you feel sick because, strangely enough, we actually tried the same thing at another point in the film, like a three sixty shot um, during the diner whenever, um, mm-hmm. Anna and um, and uh, Tabitha, uh, Kristen, Kristen, is Kristen's um, the character name. Tabitha's. The... Uh, it's been just long enough where I can't remember Tabitha's character the names. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I can only remember actor's name. And yeah. uh, it, originally, I tried a, a three sixty shot during that sequence, and um, it just made it made us all nauseous to look at. <laughs> some yeah. reason it was like well it's just so claustrophobic and it was just the blocking of them at the table yeah. the size of the table the room it just like something about it just made it made you feel sick and it, that one we ended up just shooting over the shoulders you know no and, it's funny uh, i always like the i always like 360 dialogue scenes when but like when they work but it's it, it, not a lot well i've always it. avoided them over the years not just because we've never had like a, a production that could actually um uh pull it off in any kind of well, way well they're a little you know? showy um, and, and they're well, hard to they, time a lot right. of times they, they feel very artificial mm-hmm. you know Know, like um like I remember that movie like I remember noticing that in that movie Better Luck Tomorrow, which I, I enjoyed when I saw it the first time, but that movie has a lot of three sixty shots and they felt so forced and that always made an impression on me. Mm. I mean, even the opening of Reservoir Dogs, I always yeah. felt like that 360 stuff was always really distracting, even though it looked good and I love that opening anyways, you know. But yeah. like but I'd always had in my mind never to do 360 stuff, but for some reason that, that sequence just kinda kinda worked. And I think it is because it is just one uninterrupted 360 that 
pushes in yeah. and comes to a definitive stop is why it kind of it actually has a trajectory to you it. You got so. to set and you were just like, I, I know I have a rule about 360 stuff. Is it never or always? <laughs> oh, let's just do it. <laughs> I'm high. It's just fucking, <laughs> you know. Um, that scene got got kind of trimmed down because it just was like a little. This, this shot right here, unfortunately, we waited till the very end of the production so you can see it's completely green out there. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it happened to rain that day. Yeah, so I it rained. I was really disappointed because I really wanted there to be dirt kicking up like in this shot yeah. and that last one, but didn't get it. Good uh, for New Mexico, bad for us. Oh, shit. by the way, you might notice that there's a Halloween Four reference there. That scarecrow is actually we directly tried to recreate the um, scarecrow that's the very opening credit sequence of Halloween Four. The only difference mm-hmm. with ours is that we added a um, a pumpkin head to it, but uh, it's still the the basic design. And there's some Halloween Three stuff later on that, that if you know that film as well as you should. Well, and and you know like in the the whole like genesis of this project was really like you know coming up with a movie that had like strong influences from Halloween and Terminator. And I always saw structurally this film to be in sort of like an inverted Halloween, whereas Michael Myers, instead of being, you know, the faceless shape that's watching you from a distance, he's the the beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. friend like right inside yeah, your house. Yeah, you want you know? to invite inside. And, and to really like make that work, you know, you have to have like a, Do- a Dr. Loomis character, you know, hunting him down. And, yep. <laughs> and that's what Lance uh, as Major Carver is. He's the Dr. Loomis. So I was always super excited uh, to... Um, to uh, to 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 have this character in the film, you know, and actually have this moment. I mean, I've always wanted to do like John Woo style, mm-hmm. uh, you know, slow motion, you know, just over the top gunfights, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I mean, this probably might, might not be the best one to talk about the genesis of this project because uh, people are dying and stuff. And I do want to mention that like there was a weird point in the middle of shooting this scene where there where, like we, there was a, a bullet scare that we were gonna run out of bullets because Adam was just having them spray like full clips on every take. Well, yeah, like those clips, like you, you know, like you they they run out in um, about three seconds. You know, like an entire clip runs out. So that's why these shots are so quick because I just wanted I didn't. Want like a realistic like you know because in reality they would you know do controlled burst shooting you know for more accuracy but i wanted more of an over-the-top 80s almost like anime style like just like unload on the house kind of thing and just make it like a big over the top because i i you know at no point did i think that we were trying to make a realistic you know action sequence so they they'd brought like ten thousand bullets like something insane like ten thousand bullets and and then at like a certain point they're like We've only got like four thousand bullets left, and and I mean Adam and I were both just like, oh, you've got to be kidding! <laughs> yeah. But then it ended up being fine because we were pretty much done with those shots. Well, yeah, once we got over that initial barrage, like it, it just it, it slowed down in terms of the ammo we were using. But um, Dan, uh, Dan, I, I, I was actually sick. Remember, like I I got oh, yeah, I you got the flu. Cold. Yeah, I got the like some sort of like flu type of thing like right right the day that we started shooting, or, like the day before actually, and it was like it was this was such a horrible week for me because. Like I'd have to go sit in the shade because I'd go out in the sun and I was already having a fever and I just, you know, like the actors would have to come over to like the tent and like talk and yeah, you know. yeah, you were and you, and, were you know mess. just trying to manage all these like you know you know all this action was just you know very we shot this very quickly and I mean this is the actual house too I mean this is the house that like a family lived in that they let us shoot this stuff in so we like, well, and remember we, we, we built this, like fake walls this is actually and shot, shot remember this is actually shot before we had shot any scenes in the house remember? yeah so that we could shoot it all up and. Then reset it, and then this is the one thing. This shot in the hallway here is the one thing that was on a soundstage as we built like this hallway. Yeah, these so shots we could, right here. Yeah, and our our brilliant um, Bill, our brilliant um, uh, um, uh, what do you call carpenter? It? Yeah, the carpenter. Second he, you know, he he worked also on there. We blood strangely, we had a lot of 
crossover from that movie, but um, he he actually designed like the the well and and, and there will be blood. So he he's like a, obviously a brilliant guy, and uh, he he came up with the idea. You know, like once we recreated that hallway, he's like, well, let's let's just recreate one. You know, for the master shot of him coming forward down the hallway. You know, both sides of the walls. You know, scene, and he was like, and then let's just do one that's one. One, um, uh, we'll just use the rest over materials and we'll just do one wall and then you can do a tracking shot. And and that tracking shot ended up being like the money shot of that yeah. sequence. But it was really because of his ingenuity in thinking practically like let's get the most bang for our buck that, uh, you know, we were able to get that. You but know? everything else is actually the, the actual house. And like when you see the outside of the house, it's just like explosives under like a drywall that we put on top of it and, and painted. And uh, those explosives almost never worked, right? But But most of them worked eventually. Mm-hmm. Dan also, I think, wouldn't forgive us if we didn't point out that the scene where he's running out of Caleb's room and the, going by the door oh, and yeah. it explodes. I forgot about that. Shot like a splinter through his ear. And, and you watch the scene and it's hilarious because he's completely covering his face so we could have totally used We should have done a stuntman. Well, he had that. this incredible stunt double, Paul, who is amazing at everything. The most, I mean, like... Like, talk, amazing. Yeah, talk about having faith in somebody. Like, Paul never fucks up ever. I mean, uh, he, he's, he, the, he's the stunt double that, like, jumps through the window, bounces off the bed. I mean, one take, Paul, Paul is so precise... That um, he was Cl- that, that, that right before we shot that scene where he jumps through the window, bounces on the bed, and then uh, slams against the wall and hits the floor. Right before we shot it, um, you know, somebody realized like, oh, that wall over there is rigged for explosives, so it's just drywall. So if he hits it too hard then it'll all crumble down. And so he had to mentally say, okay, I just need to take this down by like 35%. So he knew, I mean, like, that, it's just a mastery of control over, you know, what he's doing there, you know. But for some reason, we elected to not use one take, Paul, for the scene of Dan running out of the bedroom. And uh, the, one of the explosives went off like right next to his head. And he kind of he kind of came to Vito Village with like this piece of wood sticking through his ear. Like, is it, is like, I don't really want to look at it. Is it, is it bad? It's like, like no, is, no, not bad. Medic. This is always one of my, I was so excited to shoot that shot uh, from when I read the script. With Lance reason. throwing down the gun, just saying "fucking." Fuck. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, I remember, like whenever that that shot happened, and uh, and and Dan got like the 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 piece of the door shot through his ear. <laughs> like like at first, like it was one of those moments where we shot the shot, and it was like, okay, I guess that looked okay. Maybe we'll do it again. But then they're like, oh, Dan has been injured, and it's like, oh, what happened? Oh, yeah. And somebody's like. Um, uh, a splinter went into his ear, and I thought, "Oh my God!" Like, he thought like he was like deaf. Well, yeah, I thought that it, like it went into his ear, you know. And then I went back there, and he had like a piece sticking in his ear, and I was like, oh, "Dan's got this." That's fine. Come on, <laughs> let, let's do another takedown. Um, so this car crash was a nightmare. We filmed this thing four times without the cars just could not hit each other. Yeah, I mean, like there's uh, as we're talking right now, there's probably like hundreds of cars crashing each other into each other on accident. Yet. When we're trying to, for some reason, we could not get two cars to crash into each other. Because initially, what we wanted to do is the, um, the 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 effects team was supposed to cable the cars, pull them into each other, and I wanted basically the um, you know the headlights, just like two of the headlights like a on either side, collision. yeah, so that they hit and the cars would spin around each other, and it's a little bit more impressive. But something happened, and they, for some reason, just couldn't pull it off. I don't know if they were just, like, overzealous and, like, were selling us on something that they actually didn't know how to do. Which is frequently the case on film sets. Yeah, especially with People don't want to say guys. no. Um, uh, they just say yes, and then it doesn't happen. <laughs> but, like, the first take that we did it on... 
they pulled the cards toward each other and they missed, but they they nicked each other just they enough. Like scraped so they scraped each other. Yeah, so, so both cards were like wrecked. Yeah, they they, they, they basically the just fucked each other up just enough so that we couldn't use it and we couldn't shoot reshoot it. So know? then we and, tried to do it. So we so we lost like half a day. I had to move on to something else. Couldn't shoot the Leland getting shot scene. And then we tried to test it. And one of the cars, like, spun out during the test and broke its axles and the wheels flew off. So we were constantly just trying to repair those cars just to get them to climb. You know, you- I, I have to give a shout-out to um, our, um, our our sound effects uh, designer, um, Jeff, uh, for oh, this, this yeah. sequence. He got obsessed with this actor's delivery uh, right here when he says, Yes, but! Yes, but. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and, and and Jeff like I don't know why I, I think we were just delirious because our we next were. schedule is so insane. But he had like isolated that yes but sound and was just like playing it on loop in the mixing stage. So like every time I hear that line, we, like I'm like Keith the only one in the theater laugh like laughing. We, we all, all four of us just start laughing. But he actually secretly in put jokes, it in that's the. Definitely uh, not funny. <laughs> if you listen extremely carefully, you probably have to turn the volume up very loud because it's very buried in there. But we actually put the yes like an echoed version of the yes but in the haunted house sequences (laughs) you can just barely like yeah which is why uh you know when you're on a soundstage trying to make a sundance deadline sometimes uh sometimes you end up going down sometimes you find out like that you have to go back to the sound mix and do another day a little later (laughs) you know clean some things up i I love these uh waitress costumes like i i i wondered uh, a couple times when we were shooting if people were gonna think that they're actually going to a halloween party this entire film because they they don't look like real waitress costumes they're very like but I, but I, but that was you know something we were having fun with is just you know playing up that kind of um, that that kind of fetishy you know uh, iconic look you know. So I love the idea, and in in this was in the you know kind of written this way though. I almost wish we had a corpse in the back seat there now. Right. <laughs> but, but I love the idea that David just killed someone and stole their minivan, and you don't even bother to see it. It's just like yeah, you know, you realistically do that. Um, this was another uh, special effect that. Um, had some kind of scary well, things. Yeah, like this. Well, wait, explosion. we should talk about Stevie B first. I want to. Well, yeah. Well, initially, like we had a different Stevie B song in this scene. Like I, um, everyone loves the Stevie B song and bringing Stevie B back. Yeah, I was. Well, I well, was like, the... I was friends with a lot of these like uh, Cambodian uh, kids back in film school, and I, I dated this one girl that was really into Stevie B. Stevie or, B was like she had like a mixtape. Yeah, she had a mixtape of it, and I always loved this one Stevie B song and. Uh, I uh that is a great fall here. Yeah, and I and I wanted to actually the, all that blood behind her is CGI. It's yeah, it's some of the best CGI in the, the whole squib, movie. The squib like missed. Like, well, it, remember it shot, shot too like, high, like like way above her head. So the the effects guy actually recreated that entire pillar and then superimposed it behind her and then and then did all that fake blood. It's really impressive. But um, and but yeah, we couldn't get the rights to the other Stevie B song. Um, uh, uh, for whatever reason, because like they just nobody could find out where they existed. But luckily, he had another great song that we used in its place. But yeah, that explosion. <laughs> that explosion. <laughs> that explosion is just an air cannon. It's like a pressure. Yeah, so it's not actual flame explosion at all. Yeah, because we because uh, you know that's more what a grenade would look like anyways, yeah. and we wanted that kind of just projection outside Debris. of the place. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, what's what what ended up happening is that the special effects guy, you know, um, they uh, we, that that diner was facing out into basically like a six lane road. It was like, Route sixty six, yeah, actually. major thoroughfare of of Moriarty, and and the first time we did it, it shot the metal cannon out through the doors. Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, is like they 
they had told us that it wasn't gonna like they had this thing called like a door jam that was inside of the um, oh yeah to black to break the door yeah to break to the door but they it. didn't hinge the door on or whatever and so like whenever this pressurized air cannon released it just basically shot this giant metal projectile yeah. all the way across two lanes of highway which we didn't close down because yeah. we were told that um it wouldn't be a problem, which in retrospect we should have just in closed retrospect, it down anyways. You yeah, know? Air, um, air on the side. So of if somebody had maybe. been driving by, we would have definitely murdered them. Um, yeah, I mean it. It was it was like a really scary moment when when everyone was like, "Where's the giant metal can?" And then we like looked and it was like two hundred feet on like the <laughs> other side of the road, and we're like, "Oh my." God, like, and I, I've always felt bad too because if you look at that shot, you can see a bird is flying by right when that explosion goes off, and I think it killed the bird. But I, I, I tried to block it out and tried not to. We're very like we <laughs> we can't even like we both hate like cannibal holocaust and stuff because like you. Just... But I, I don't know if the bird died or not, but you can see a bird flying by right when it happens, and it's very disturbing. The to bird me, but, definitely uh, was like so startled. R.I.P. Bird. If, yeah, we're if... not. We're, <laughs> we're very you know not into animals having a bad time because of a film shoot in in. But you know that was a uh, never was saw the bird, one. so I can just bird assume, might be fine. Yeah, he could be. <laughs> it's probably great. It's probably doing really well. It's probably a big fan of the film, actually. Is what I would guess. Uh, this these scenes, uh, man, these scenes got trimmed down and and yeah, this was your AJ Bowen exposition moment. For yeah, and and I really, I, I it's <laughs> this is my least favorite scene in the movie, and it's not because of anything Lance and Mike are doing. It's just because I don't love the writing here, to be honest. Um, I wish I'd found well, a more even, elegant way. And it this used to be even, much more... Yeah, this was like twice as long normally. Because well, he, originally... he actually explained the entire specifics of Yeah, the well, because originally, you know, the whole kind of concept of this is you wanted to do this kind of Terminator Halloween fusion where, mm -hmm. like, you know, and I really wanted it to be kind of about how he has this, like an actual chip in his brain. Mm -hmm. Um and 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 infuse that with this kind of original with this kind of earlier original script idea I'd had, which was like gonna be more of a depressing family uh PTSD metaphor. Uh, that was like riffing on the stepfather and some revenge stuff. And and so when all that got fused, it was really kind of tricky to find what the reality was going to be. But it got dialed back down from that android thing. But but this monologue was still long. Well, I, and, and the funny thing was, remember, like he explained exactly what's going on in um, with David about like he's got like a chip yeah, in his brain. What, like, and like it, how, it, he it, it, how he can suppress his feelings of guilt and, and, and regulate his adrenaline yeah. and everything. And, um, and but it was but, but we, didn't... again we tested that, and that was one of the first times ever that. That we'd had an experience where the audience actually felt like they had too much information. Yeah, well, they were you know? just like, we got that. We got that from what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, you know, it's like we, we saw Born Identity. We understand how super soldiers exactly, work to a certain yeah. degree. Yeah, and, we, uh... we, we're, we're aware of the government's various like insidious programs. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, uh, so... so uh, oh, I, I should uh, mention... We should talk. Uh, Tom, <laughs> Tom, uh, Tom created that pumpkin just for that shot. It's a, it, it, this whole set was actually Tom's idea, the red room mm -hmm. with the flashing... This you know, is all built onto the actual existing high school gym. Now, in New Mexico, when they stop using a building, we found out they don't, like, tear it down or anything because why would they? There's so much space. They just build another one across the street and leave the original one standing. So there was, like, this abandoned high school. Mm -hmm. um, but then this is an actual existing Halloween. It, 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 we couldn't even believe it. And half the reason why we shot in this town was just because it was too good to be true. And it, it, it turned out to be just it worked out incredible. But yeah. um, we we initially went to Moriarty location scouting, and we found that... that uh, that 
you know, the whole entire school. We found out we could shoot there very easily. Yeah, we could the also mayor turn of Moriarty it into liked our, us. And we <laughs> could turn it into our production offices. That was very convenient. Yeah. But then there just happened to be about, like, five miles away this entire massive labyrinth of a... Um, actual Halloween maze. Yeah, an actual Halloween... in October. Yeah, and... Uh, and uh, the people that ran it are big horror fans, and they were just like, yeah, okay, you can film here. Yeah, so they let us just come <laughs> in here oh, and, like, wow. you know, and add, you know, we added a lot of stuff to it, but, like, the infrastructure was already there, and then we were able to just cut it in with stuff like this. So, like, this is, is the, the gym. This is, like, the abandoned gym, but those earlier shots that you just saw are an actual, like, Halloween maze that we just, like, tweaked some stuff to. Th- this is my other favorite New Mexico actor is uh, <laughs> Mr. Lyles. Oh, um, that guy was great. It, yeah. There's something really funny about him. We, I think we cast him because of his mustache. Yeah, but, he was, uh, like, the boyfriend of, like, our, one of our local casting people, and he just kind of came in and made us all crack up. He was he was really good. I, I really liked him, and he was good at uh, doing ADR stuff. But, yeah, that Halloween maze was... Well, you know, I've always like really like just like always wanted to shoot a scene like at a uh, at a high school dance for some reason. I don't know why. Oh, me too. And, uh, well, I, I feel like this movie was us kind of like prepping for that. Like this is like us like kind of getting into it, but like one day I think we're gonna end up doing something like that. So but... these mirrors, should we talk about? Like these were kind of borrowed from the set of Transcendence. Oh yeah, is that is that where we got these? I think so. Yeah. Well, I know that we got a lot of our our, our construction materials from Transcendence. Yeah, I, I think Transcendence. I I don't think like we stole. Them. I think Transcendence had like a bunch of mirrors. Oh, they were throwing, and they were throwing, out, they yeah. were throwing all this stuff away because their movie cost like a hundred million dollars. So we just grabbed it, and that's our mirror maze. Yeah, and, and this was really difficult because we just kind of had to wing this. So like we came in there that morning and bolted these mirrors down, and um, and uh, this was hard. Try, yeah, just tried to find the right angles for it. I mean, I wish we had more time to really like play with the mirrors, but it, ideally I mean, we would have had like a whole day just to shoot this. Oh yeah. Well, we we did have a whole day. We needed like a whole like four days. I think. Oh, we did have <laughs> a whole know? day. I felt like we ended up having to go to another. Yeah, I guess we always did. Night. And we, we ended up having to come back and reshoot. Like that's a reshoot. That's right a there. reshoot. And, yeah, uh, we shot those. There's a couple pickups in here that we did a, like a day or so later. But the, um, I remember the whole time just being like, thank God we're out of the mirror maze. Was kind of like I don't care what's going on as long as we're not in the mirror maze. You know. But well, you know, but we ended up. You know, like I'd always wondered in movies how people do these mirror maze things, and um, it's yeah. And, and we ended up actually behind, like one way mirrors or two. yeah, like we either found like good angles or we actually did have a um yeah you know like one way glass that we were able to shoot like in like an the, interrogation the, room. Yeah. Um. You know, originally the script took place in just like a high school. Like so, there was the high school dance. Oh, that's right. And yeah. and then a lot of this cat and mouse stuff just took place in the hallway. Like yeah, in the you're lockers. right. The, yeah, the, it was more about the original. Like, was, like this was the main thing that we changed in the script. This was a big change because the original was more about like destroying the high school. You know, like like uh, like kind of like an over over the edge style mm-hmm. type thing. And 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 you know, the, like Anna's really into archery and she like blows up the science lab. Yeah, she, she killed. Like, she like helps shoot, kill David by like shooting him with a bow and arrow. Shooting with a bow and arrow draft. and then turning all the Bunsen burners and Which, blowing up let's the face science it, lab. Would have been pretty sweet. Oh, uh, it would have been awesome. <laughs> and then, then you know the high school blows up at the end or whatever. But and he is. And then the rest of it, like, was still he escapes and like the fireman's thing, but it was much more subtle. But, the, uh, but this was like right, right after Simon had written that. That's like right when the Sandy Hook thing went down. Yeah, and, uh, and, and it was a weird it, thing because everyone was reading the script. Like, this doesn't bother me, but I feel like this should bother someone else. Yeah, and also like, it was just like you know these these shootings are happening so shootings frequently are happening now so that often. you know the chances are like when we release this movie, oh, this is my favorite shot in the entire film. This is great, the Halloween three shot. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, we just were like, you know, something else is going to happen. and uh, Yeah, you know. it's, this isn't going to be funny. Like, you, you, people killing each other in school hallways. Uh, 
is just like inviting inviting like bad things to happen in the world and when you put that in a movie it's 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 a more serious topic than we wanted to deal with so that was our other your next reference i don't know if you saw it back there written on the walls <laughs> yep yep uh so like simon and i had like Halloween an idea days. that that, uh, <laughs> that that maybe um that your next was kind of like takes place in reality in this universe here. Well, and, the your next uh, murders took murders, place in reality. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. It's, and it was a big murder case or something, so it's like, it's, it's almost like, like the fetishized. Manson thing. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, so that's why people are like, like, wearing the masks is actually kind of in poor taste in the party scene. <laughs> yeah. Steve Moore's being a jerk, <laughs> you know, and, and this, the yeah, but like, because, you know, people, you know, somewhere Aaron is still on the run. So, yeah, you can definitely tell that this doesn't feel exactly authentic to what a high school uh, group would come up with. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, maze. maybe uh, a little, they, their, they their budget a, is a little they impressive. They had an incredible budget for their mirror maze. <laughs> I um, mean, we're actually hiding the fact that, like, like over on the side, there's, like, a fake car that comes out and, like, almost hits you yeah, and, like, uh, like, barrels that look like they're going to fall on you. There, it's more clear there. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, I like to think that there's, like, some, like, drama teacher at the high school who just, like, really cares about the Halloween dance. His, his failed, like, Hollywood career as, like, a production designer, and he moved out to Moriarty, I did New theater Mexico. tech in high school, and, they, man, our guy was pretty serious. Uh, he was, he had some really ambitious ideas. Um, um, now, the actual maze itself doesn't have cool lighting like this uh, in this scene, but no, uh, it's pretty dark. I mean, we yeah. but but it did have like like chain link fences everywhere, and it also had, it was full of like chickens and rabbits and feral cats and stuff. Yeah, 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 because it's basically a farm. I mean, it's out. This is like an in like kind of an open barn. You know, like there's a roof on it, but it's it's kind of open to the elements. This and, is where uh, you told Dan to go like full like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Yeah, we, at this point <laughs> we were just having so much fun with the character, and like once we kind of got you know the basics of the scene like we just decided to just try see how far over the top we could take david and and actually the over the top takes are in the film but there is one moment that i do kind of miss where he walked up to one of these like poles and he's like where are you and he's like tapping the razor blade on the on the pole and this whole character arc with brendan and the butterfly knife of course is also obviously a shout out to face off oh wait real quick this is my this is my favorite piece of music i think just about oh yeah this is a track called daf or a band called daf and uh uh, I just think there's something so awesome about that shot and then that shot right there, two of my favorites, like, with this, like, insane, weird, like, German fetish industrial music playing. I wish know? we'd put bloody Micah boot prints going from the blood there to, like, really hammer this idea home of what, how she's trying to lure him out, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, what were you about <laughs> to say a second ago? Uh, uh face-off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think I said what I wanted to say. Yeah, well, Simon <laughs> and I are, are, like, obviously massive John Woo fans, but even more so we're huge face-off fans, and, uh, yeah, yeah. You had, you, we had to get that's I guess that's one of the more direct homages is like him giving the butterfly knife that ends up like you know fucking him over and yeah, yeah. yeah it ends up empowering him well this whole thing is about him like indoctrinating the children into his well like, there is a face off element to this because face off is a similar thing where like the family is like kind of has a home invasion from a uh, they think it's you know obviously it's John Travolta but it's a home, yeah well and yeah it's an it's a subtle home invasion and also I mean I would say both films have a very similar sense of humor <laughs> right um, though it's hard to tell how um, I, I guess this is what people say about our movies it's hard to tell how much face off knows it's kidding but that's I guess what people say about us and, and we're definitely kidding i think so. the actors in face off at least knew that they were joking yeah and the screenwriters i i suspect must have must have been having a good time um I, man there was something else i wanted to say about this halloween maze but i i can't remember now that's all this all this stuff yeah, th- uh, this coming up right here was my um this this was my finest moment right here whenever she um pushes away the um the fog here with her foot um like for some reason we're having trouble with it and uh 
and I used I'm right off screen right there with like a little board and I oh, just yeah. did that and it just happened it was just absolutely perfect and everybody like kind of gave like a clap after this that. Was, this was an, and right right here is another rare thing that worked that oh, fire that explosion thing. Yeah. that explosion with the light bulb and getting that fire to come up from the from the I mean it bothers me a little that we didn't like rig up the the thing to like move you know when it gets shot the, oh yeah that the, it doesn't react like in a, yeah, in a it just yeah. like you know explodes you know well that would have guaranteed our failure <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean we already had like two things happening three things happening come on man i mean the, the, yeah this whole ending was such a clusterfuck just to try to get it in in the amount of time that we had oh, and it was so hot in that room with those fires going i mean yeah yeah because that gymnasium room actually wasn't, wasn't nearly ventilated. as big as it looks here either you know no. it was like because it, it was technically it was half the size of a normal gymnasium because there was it's some div- sort of weird... a divider wall for whatever reason yeah which so... we couldn't tear down i was like can we tear that down they're like definitely not yeah okay. but that did make it easier for us to light and everything and uh yeah dan is having a a, a great time here <laughs> he's so good <laughs> um yeah i mean this was really important to well, us that he kind of like sends them the message of like hey this is this is what I've been trying to teach you how to do. Yeah, like nicely done. Well, and, and you'll notice I love this little exchange there, but I, you'll notice that um, that uh, right here, there's that, that right after uh, Dan's character dies, that um, that, that that some flowers that some uh, flowers appear on the grave behind them that we just added just for this shot coming up, uh, just to signify it and just. Oh, that's our Terminator reference, by the way. If you didn't catch that, I like this whole like weird arc of this David character's like plan. Is like he's like he's like he couldn't stop his programming from making wanting to kill the kids, so he has to like make them kill him. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, fake his death. For, he's like, proud the, of him, you know. Yeah, he, he fakes his death for like the third time that week. Uh, you know, yeah. These, this. I mean, we, we had one take on this right here, and it was like, all right, and I think we got it. Let's. <laughs> we can't. We don't have time to do it again. Yeah. There yeah. it is. There's the flower. It appears just for this one shot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- this fog and, and fire thing actually, like, it was, in, it, that was one thing when I wrote in the script. I was like, oh, man, I really hope we can get this. And it, it worked out really well. Mm-hmm. And then this this was... Yeah, you know, that was one of those where, it, just like in, in your next, there's all these, like, scenes where people are punching and throwing things through glass that I always thought were going to be the big nightmare to shoot. But those always went well. And similarly... You know, this was another thing where, like, going into the production, I was like, oh, this fire scene is just going to be a nightmare and trying to get the dry ice on the ground and everything to work correctly, the fog on the ground. And uh, strangely, those things were absolutely no issue whatsoever. Yeah, it was everything else that was an issue. So <laughs> it, we, was, it was trying to get two cars to crash into yeah, each other. Yeah, two on cars purpose, to just hit know? each other with no it's one never, inside it's them. It's never what you think it's going to be. Yeah. yeah, it really isn't. And, you know, and you learn – and the funny thing is, you know, the film that we'd planned to do instead of this was had, like, 50 car crashes in it. It was going to be a <laughs> Non-stop car chase movie, and we decided to do this instead because that just wasn't working out for us. It was we would have that, that would have ruined our career. We'd still be making it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, we're recording this at a time when the movie hasn't come out yet. So hopefully, it was a hit. If you're listening to this, uh, we should talk a little about Micah's kind of final line here because this was something you came up with on set. Yeah, that's right. Like uh, originally, it was it was it, it was written as more like vague or uh, a, a subtle thing. Yeah, yeah. like like she kind of sees somebody at the end, and it was kind of like this like wink, like was that David or well, not? Well, she's like know? about to speak. I was specifically thinking. Of the film Shark Skin Man and Peach Hip Girl, which ends kind of with a character like it's about like, has a, uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> has like this realization and gasps and and it just we realized. But you know, like at this point, we'd already shot most of the movie. and We knew that this was not a very subtle film, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, that you couldn't end 
the movie like this suddenly. We needed and to commit. Well, we needed but, to, but, it could be I, a subtle thing. The audience needed to know that, that David's adventures will continue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, know? it has to have that Halloween ending, you know, yeah. where, it's, it, where it's like Michael Myers is gone and where did he go, you know. And, uh, but like the... Um, I love this music, But But the, the ending here, the, a funny thing about it is after we shot it and, and I edited it together, I realized that it ended exactly like the very first um, movie that I did when I was in like... Um, God, I, I was probably in like seventh grade or something. It was the first edited film I put together. It was called Stick Fight. Did you edit it was, with like two VCRs? Uh, I did, yeah. yeah. And it and it was it was a movie about like me and my friends and like it was kind of like a like a take on like sword fighting movies. But for some reason, the characters had fashioned these like fancy sticks. But the villain in it was a guy in a. Uh, and kind of a your next looking mask and a trench coat and stuff. But the ending of the film is exactly the same, where the hero thinks that uh, the, the villain's dead. Then he gets a knock at his door. He opens the door, and then the killer's like standing there, and he's like, "Whoa!" You know. But it, but it was even shot exactly the same way, where it does these like double push-ins, you know. <laughs> and it wasn't until after we did the movie I was like, "Wait a second! Like I just I'm I've reverted back to not just like." early movies but the very first movie you know when I should be moving way more forward here. Maybe with our next movie we can actually take a step forward creatively for once. Maybe. <laughs> Alright if you're still listening to this I guess we should wrap this up and I guess we should thank you for listening. Yeah. Very much. And I hope that we didn't um, miss out on any topics or oh, any Oh I'm sure actors, we miss, I'm sure know, as soon as but, we as soon as we start driving home we're gonna be like fuck why didn't uh, I say like god damn it. Yeah, so. Well you know what we, 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 we tend to get asked the same questions in interviews a lot so if you're listening to this commentary right now and you're thinking Gosh, I wish I could just listen to Simon and Adam talk a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do anything to hear more about the guest. Uh, you know, a Google search will probably satisfy that. Um, or, you know, I mean, I just don't, I guess I just don't know what to tell you in that hypothetical circumstance. You know, I guess rewind and enjoy it again. <laughs> All right. Th- seriously, thank you for listening to us. All right. See you. <laughs>